What's up everybody, this is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. So begins my tour of San Francisco. I'm up here in Northern California interviewing some of my oldest friends in magic, actually. Certainly the most influential magicians that I met after my first magic convention, my second magic convention. These guys are dear friends, and the guest for this episode is Theron Schaub. Theron's a phenomenal guy. One of the first people I met at a magic convention through Michael Feldman, actually, who will be a later episode. He's incredibly talented. He thinks very hard about his magic, and he's doing a lot of performing now, walk around, private events, things like that. Theron is a full-time business analyst or money analyst. I, I don't know. I, I'm still not quite clear on what he does, but he has a full-time job. And when I say full-time, I mean his schedule is packed. He's traveling two weeks out of every month. So he's got a crazy schedule, and he finds a way to make it work as a performing magician as well. Kind of a part-time professional. So we talk about that. We talk about how we met each other. We talk a little bit about fashion and how eliminating excess and noise from your life help you to crush it, as he says. The episode's really interesting. It was a lot of fun, and I'm going to let you guys go ahead and get into it as soon as possible. A couple of things. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, Instagram and Facebook. You can find us by searching Art of Magic or Magical Thinking Podcast. So give us a like and a follow. Make sure to join our newsletter so you can stay up to date on everything that we're releasing. We just put out Aussie Wins Gypsy Queen, which is a phenomenal trick. If you haven't already, go ahead and pick that up. And we've got some other cool things in the pipeline for this season. That's about it. I'm going to let you guys get into it. This is Theron. Let me know what you think at podcast at artofmagic.com and enjoy. Is that your serial killer journal? <laughs> yes. No. Well, this is already the best podcast I've ever done because <laughs> nothing's ever been like this before. Uh, what do you want to describe to everyone what, what's happening in front of us? Are we on right now? Yeah, we're on. Oh. Well, we have three selections of cheese, two different types of scotch, hummus, a couple different types of crackers. It's like a dream come true. Two of them are goat cheese. One's a goat gouda. Oh, this One is, is a goat cheddar. Mouth, right? Yep. And then that is a Jarlsberg cheese. Okay. And um, yeah, I'm gluten-free. So that's if anyone's wondering why there's gluten-free crackers out here, that's, they're gluten-free. Yep, this Gouda is, let's see here, very Gouda. It's Shoot good, isn't it? <laughs> that, that was... No, it's, it's really good. No, it is really delicious. <clears throat> wow. I like the texture of it, too. It's a little grainier. Not in a bad way, but I mean, like, it's more stout. Mm-hmm. It's well, like a yeah. stronger. I'm not describing myself well. No, you're doing perfectly <laughs> fine. I'm just trying to get my notes right. Okay. What are these notes of? Just things that I want to talk about. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I've got my list. We'll start with your list. And no, we'll start with your list. We should, um, for the readers of what we're... Yes. yes, yes, what yes, yes. So we have two different types of scotch here. From the same distillery. Yep. One's an Octomore, 2009 limited edition. Uh-huh. Aged five years. It's extremely peaty. Second one is from the same distillery. Do you want to pronounce that? I Brooklatic. Brooklatic, perfect. Islay Barley, Rockside Farm, distilled in 2007, 
2007, bottled in 2013. This is aged six years in oak casks. This is an unpeated. So we have an unpeated and a peated. I say we start with unpeated. All right. In the Norling glass. Cheers. In Norling glass. Cheers. Wow. Slotcha. Mm, it's very oaky. Got a lot of the honey. Mm -hmm. There's like an apple crisp in there. Mm -hmm. That's really sweet. Mm -hmm. It immediately hits you with a sweet at the front. Yep. No burn sensation. Nope. It's pretty smooth on the way down. It is smooth. It's not very dry, which I like. Mm -mm. It's got a good mouthfeel. There's no peat, but... It's, it's a, spicy. It's, spi yeah. it's spicy. That's a good way of describing yeah. it. Yeah. So how I, many of these have you done? This is um, this one will come out before Rahul's. Okay. Or John's will come out before Rahul's. I don't know. Because we talk about you and John and his. Okay. And I want people to get a sense of who you guys are. Cool. Um, but it's this will by the end of this week, I hope to have had 36 done. Okay. Yeah. So 32 came out last week. 33 will come out this week. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. We're doing it. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Literally no pressure. I'm yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Go ahead and shoot. What do you what do you got on your list there? These are not questions. These are topics of discussion. Okay. So, let's start off by telling people how we met cuz I don't know. <laughs> Just spring that on you real quick. Well, I think Rahul had the uh, didn't we meet at the same time mm -hmm. with Rahul? I think so. He told the story last yep. night. Yeah. But we had a lot of wine, so I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that was like a fucking incredible night. That was so good. Yeah, that was rehashing lots of old stories. That was a fantastic night. It was it brought up a lot of good memories, so that was good to Best have. Best cigar of my life. That was a very good cigar. Yeah, we don't mess around, man. Don't mess around at all. Yeah. Um, where did we meet? Shoot, man. Um, it was either... It was like MagicCon or Pebblepalooza. I, I think it was MagicCon. Okay. I think it was Ma MagicCon 1. Mm -hmm. That's when we met you. No, 2, because I didn't go to the first one. You didn't go to the first one? Mm -mm. I met Michael at the second one. Okay. Because I knew him, because he had that pin thing on Dan and Dave. End for end. Did you just attend, or were you working for Dan and Dave at the time? No, I just attended. I how did like, you become working for Dan and Dave, then? Like How, how shortly after that? Uh, I was still in high school at that convention. Um, the most recent Magic Con was the one that I... So it was probably... I started working them four years ago, and the second Magic Con was in 2011. So, no. Have I been working for them for four years? Cause I, okay, I guess it was right after... Yeah, right after the... Th I don't know, all my memories are confabulated. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but after one of the Magic Cons, I got like... Close with Brad Fulton, mm. the creative director guy. I remember him. Yeah, and uh, then he wanted to do a film project, which is not dissimilar from what this podcast is, except it was on video. It was like a Charlie Rose-style interview. Gotcha. But I just wasn't ready for it. Like, we came out, and I was not comfortable being recorded or filmed or anything like that. Right. And I was still very young and didn't really have any points of view, so it was more like interview-based instead of discussion-based. Gotcha. We just kind of come full circle now, which is neat. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it was MagicCon 2 then when we first met. Okay. Yeah. But that's because I was just Feldman's shadow at that convention, basically. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, yes. Yeah. So, that's funny. It is. Yeah. But. 
Yeah. And we've been friends ever since. Cool. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, uh. well, the way that you said it, I was like, is that not true? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. Okay. <laughs> um, so then I guess really the only times I ever saw you were at Magic Commissions, either Pebble Palooza, Lance's in Texas, mm-hmm. Magic Con in San Diego, mm-hmm. or your convention. Mm-hmm. Which is one my favorite convention. Thank you. That and Pebble Palooza are my two favorites, but they're very similar. Yes. Yeah. We started first, though. Yes, you guys. You guys. Are, you guys are, <laughs> Sorry, Lance. <laughs> you guys are definitely the reigning champs of the best conventions. Well, should we start? I mean, I can describe how we started that. Yeah, if you please want to go into that. So mm-hmm. um, we we've done nine Golden Gate gatherings. Mm-hmm. Started back uh, ten years ago because we skipped ten, which was last year or this year. We got a lot of heat for that. But because um, everyone loves it there, and I know it's like it's like you broke up with the magic community is what happened. We're doing it again next year, so I'm on record saying that. So okay. it's, it's going to happen in 2017. Will be year 10. This is our quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyways, so we're doing um, Dorian Rodell, Kent Gunn, and myself attended Buffalo 52. Uh, Dan Block's convention, and this was 11 years ago, and I've been to two 52s, uh-huh. and it was fantastic. You know, the format was really good. They had a couple, couple good lectures, limited it to 50 people, no dealer room, just sessioning and hanging out. And I thought that was a great idea. The only issue that we had coming from California is Buffalo is really hard to get to. Like it's really hard to get to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's, so we decided, what's hey, the trip look like? You have to take two flights. There's no direct flight into Buffalo, so you have to fly into like uh, New York uh-huh. um, airport, and uh, then take a puddle jumper up to up to Buffalo okay. to get up there. So it's just challenging. It's very time consuming. You know, it's like a nine hour flight you know, oh, tra- wow. of travel. You yeah. know, okay. so um, from that perspective, it's it's just difficult. Yeah. And so we're like, you know, let's just do it here. And so Kent Gunn. Um, David Nelson. And he was still living here at the time, yeah? Kent Gunn was still living here. Okay. Um, the, the four of us that founded it, it was Kent Gunn, David Nelson, Dorian Rodell, and myself. And we sat down and we just said to ourselves, what do we like about magic conventions? You know, because mm-hmm. I've been going to magic conventions since 2002. So I've been to big ones, small ones, all different types. And we're like, well, I, we love the sessioning aspect. You know, that, that's my personal, like, love. Like, I yeah. love going to the, the bar or after the lecture and sitting down and meeting new people. And just doing tricks, going back and forth for hours. Because what's great about a magic convention session situation is that someone will do a trick that you've completely forgotten about, yeah. and that will you know springboard and remember. You'll, you'll start remembering all these different tricks that you have filed away in the archives, and so you you, you rehash all the old stuff, which is really awesome. Yeah. And so I think the the creative juices start flowing. I'm not a huge proponent of um, dealer rooms. I just mm-hmm. think that you know it's just it's just my personal opinion of it. So we like the session aspect of it we didn't like dealer rooms and we like the small format versus the large because i feel that once you cross about 150 people you're um it becomes more clicky i feel well there's a clicky aspect to it but i think the intimacy and Uh the impact that you have to make an emotional connection with another person uh is diminished because you are spent um your entire time following this really jam-packed schedule yeah and you're moving from a to b to c to d and then you eat and then there's no time just to sit and yeah. take a minute and relax. Mm-hmm. And that take a minute and relax, I think, is vitally important. And so our format was, you know, there's like two or three things a day for mm-hmm. three days. So we have a morning lecture and an evening lecture, and that's it for yep. three days in a row. And we cap it 100 people, and we've been very successful at it. It's just, it just 
you know, that we had a, the other formula we had was, um, was this, we wanted to, in terms of lectures, because picking lectures is key, we wanted to have uh, an, a magician who had knowledge, who had been in the business for a long time. So someone old, we wanted to have some technical kid, some technical guy there, new age. We wanted to have a theory person who could talk theory, and then we wanted to have uh, another round out person. Mm-hmm. And so we had this triangle. So we didn't want to have all of our lectures be in one genre. Yeah. So it was a well-rounded situation. So our first year, I think we had Armando Lucera. Um, I can't remember the other names at this moment, but because we've had so many. But um, we've always, every year, we've had someone who can offer a theory perspective, a hardcore technical perspective, um, all-around performing perspective. And that formula has worked out extremely well over the years. And underground, the yeah. last those underground, someone who you don't normally see on a day-to-day basis. Like we were very fortunate last year to have Tom Mullica come yeah. out, who had been retired for like 20 years. Yeah. And uh, he came out and he performed for us his new you know show, which yeah. is a very special moment yeah. for all the guys because all these guys have only heard the name Tom Mullica, yeah, but never seen well, him. Or they've seen a video of him doing a cigarette act, and that's it. And that's it, yeah, right. And so we saw Tom live in front of a group of people performing, and it was a very, it was a very special it moment, was super special. So those are the things that we try to get, like these special moments. You know, we had um, uh, um, the hundred dollar bill switch, Greg uh, Kozlowski uh-huh. come out, and he um, he did the, he's the inventor of the original. Hundred dollar bill switch, mm-hmm. and we had him come out and perform, and as one of the lectures, like who, no one's ever seen him before, and he was great. Yeah. Um, but he's a, and what's great about him is he's a true professional, and um, you know he doesn't really perform a lot of magic, but he's a good thinker. Yeah, and he had one of the most bullet pointed line item professional magic lectures I'd ever seen. Like uh-huh. he, he handed out notes, and he had like every single thing bullet pointed, and like we can talk about A, B, C. It was like going into a board meeting. And just running it, it was awesome. So that was a that was a cool theme. So that's sort of how we developed GGG. We always keep it really small, and we always provide. There's no dealer room. We always well, the only person we have is Byron Walker that comes in and sells books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one year we had Jamie Schoolcraft come out with coins, but yeah. like that's the whole thing is just sessioning. And so we basically have two things a day. The rest of the time, I mean, you've been to what most of them, and it's you know we pe- we have people that say it's the one of the best conventions. Around some of the because, best memories um, of my life have happened at that. Convention. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, just because it's a special thing, but you're it's able a very to, special thing. You're able to spend time and like develop an emotional connection with these guys. Like so, Tom Mullica hands up. He hung out for four days. Yeah, you know they don't just come in, do their lecture, and leave. We have complete flexibility to our lectures. All the lecturers who ever have ever lectured for us are able to attend any other GGG for free for their life. So anyone that has ever lectured for us, we have had multiple people come back. For free, because yeah. it's, we're just creating a community there. Yeah. yeah, and it's a good time, and people want to come back because they love it. Exactly. <laughs> so that's GGG. Yeah. What's your favorite story from GGG, from all ten of them? What's, like, the the best story? The very first one. The yeah. very first GGG that we had. We had Armando Lucera come, and Armando didn't lecture, per se. We give our guys complete flexibility on what they're... We just say... Come, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, we can go for a lot as long as you want. We don't care. Yeah, and so Armando's like, okay, I'll come. I'm not going to teach tricks, but I'll do a show mm-hmm. and I'll talk theory. And at our first GGG, I think we only had about 
50 people. It yeah. was really small. Sure. It was really, really small. And we had all 50 people cram into a session suite. So the session suite is like I, we ran out of a, 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 a resort suite, like the top level suite at this hotel. And we pack it full of snacks and, and beer. And it's like a big party. But <laughs> It's the greatest. So our, picture this. Picture Armando in a hotel suite. Yeah. And you've got 50 people sitting on couches and chairs and just watching him. And he does like a 25-minute show for us. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room at the end of it. Everyone was crying because it was so beautiful. It was just like it was just like one of those magical moments ever. And uh, that's what Armando is able to do with his magic because it's so poetic and so beautiful that he can, he can just elicit this beautiful emotional reaction from everyone in the room. Uh-huh. And you're talking about you know hardcore magician guys there, yeah, you know that have you know are jaded and yeah. he's getting these guys to to like you know cry. It's Unreal, and so that must have been. That was, you know, we knew at that moment that we had to continue doing, you know, Golden Gate Gathering. Was that like a changing point for you personally? It's one. I mean, it's a. Because it was definitely an anchor for me. You know, I mean, it's an anchor for me, and one of those moments that you you can reflect upon when you're trying to develop your own magic. Yeah. You know, it's like, man, this is is, that's where that's where I want to get to. That's the feeling that I I want to invoke in in my audiences. Yeah. And so that is definitely a memory that I've got filed away and. I, I reflect back upon. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I talk a lot about on the podcast that context is super important, mm-hmm. and it is. But if you can do magic that transcends the context, like you guys were in a hotel suite, it's it's a nice room, it's a big room, but a bunch of people were in there who are all magicians. Like, it's not a formal performance space you know the context of it is but armando's magic was contextual so when of he course. performed it there was purpose and context behind it so it wasn't like i mean if you're talking about environment mm-hmm. you know when you walk into a room the magic mm-hmm. show starts that theory you yeah. know yes this is you know we all knew who he was yeah and so we already like that was that stage was set. Yeah. And we had yeah, spent yeah. three days with him waiting for this. Yeah. And so there was a massive buildup to uh-huh. us because Armando was the last thing. Okay. For this. Okay. So, was so it- people were ready for magic. Yeah. So it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that there wasn't a context. It just was a different one than like the one that I talk about fairly fairly often, which is like you're you want to control someone's experience, and it is more in a more formal way. You know, like. Every moment that they're like, though you walk into a room, the magic show has started. What you well, started. think about going to a magic. How, how do you describe GGD to an outside person? Uh, some of the best magicians in the world hang out at a convention and get really drunk. <laughs> well, yeah, but okay, that's part of it. But like, yeah, no, to to re- to you, you can't sell someone on it. You know yeah, what I mean? You, you have can't. to experience yeah, it you because it's unlike any other thing they've ever yeah. experienced. And so I don't think the first time we did this, yeah. Even I didn't know what to expect. Uh-huh. You know, we no one who bought you know the registration fee yeah. had any idea yes. to what to expect. And then it just was like this earth shattering. Oh my god, this is amazing. We need to do this again. Yeah, because the format hadn't been built. Well, and so know? yes, I agree. And so when when I talk about GGG, it's never the first convention I bring up. I'm like, hey, there's a thing called magic conventions, and that's where magicians gather and they learn tricks from the masters, quote unquote, in the field. And they just kind of try and better themselves. My favorite one is GGG. It's at this hotel in Northern California. It's really small. It's very intimate. And we all go and we have a great time. And we generally share knowledge and experience in a way that is much less 
structured and formatted. Right. And it feels more genuine and right. authentic, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. Yeah. Yep. And I love big magic conventions, too. I have no problem with them. Yeah. I just, um, you know, I prefer the smaller If you're going to do your own. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Why, why, why fly out somewhere when I can have everyone come to me? <laughs> <laughs> this just makes sense. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't get lucky. Because, like, what is, it, what is it that artists do other than make things they wish that were in the world? You know? Mm. Like, you wanted the Buffalo experience without the hassle of doing it. And you had the means and the group to put it on. And yeah. Yeah. That well, we, is a, we had that's a collective a vision. We sat down. We, we were at Max's Cafe. And we sat down. And we had a list. Of, and we just wrote down a list of people who we wanted. Yeah. We developed a framework and just, like, this, is, this makes sense. It's like if all four of us were up to fly out to Buffalo again, here was the cost. Yeah. If we can get, if we can do this magic convention below that cost, that's a win. Yeah. You know, and we don't make money on this. This is not a money. And for everyone listening, this is not me trying to, you know, pitch, pitch tickets. Or yeah, 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 yeah. This is not as like if anyone's trying to go into the business thinking, oh, I'm going to make a magic convention and make a ton of cash. You're do wrong. not do that. You're completely <laughs> wrong because you do not make money at this. And there's a lot of people that help us out through on the way, and um, you know, Will Chandler brings all of the the pipe and draping and the sound system, and um, um, we've got camera guys that come help us out as well. I mean, honestly, we've got you know, um, there's two individuals down in LA, um, Howard Hamburg and mm-hmm. Luis help us out run the session suite. I mean, so it, in, in no one gets paid, yeah. right? But their 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 payment is entrance into the into the conference, yeah. right? But the only way that this conference actually works is through a huge team effort. And we have an amazing team behind us that all just selflessly will develop three days of life to make this happen. Yeah. And that's really the only reason why it happens. And I know I'm missing people's names, and I apologize, but those are the ones that I thought of right off the top of my head. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the idea is just gathering a group or a community that shares a vision. Totally. Yeah. And you guys are awesome up here. we got a good community up here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't meet, I mean, I was born and raised here, but I didn't meet a magician until I went to college. Yeah? So, Where'd you go to college? Arizona State. Okay. And I graduated high school in 01, so I, I went down to college immediately after. And up here, there was a magic hat, and Brian Hart actually worked at the magic hat, and so did John Bodine. So I, I may have run into Brian when mm-hmm. I was in high school, but I wouldn't have known who he was at that time. I didn't meet any magicians until I started going to conventions down in college in Arizona. I think one of the very first lectures I ever went to, the very first lecture I ever went to was uh, Sylvester the Jester. And um, I was hooked, joined the SAM, was VP of the SAM 248 down there for a number of years, and uh, had a magic mentor, Jay Gorham, and he was very instrumental in helping me develop. He was the past national president of the Society of American Magicians. So he, what was special about Jay <clears throat> is that he had bought every single magic book since 1970, every single one, and had recorded every single magic thing on TV, every single one. Yeah. He had a complete copy of the uh, National Film and Tape Library for the SAM. And I uh, had no idea how vast of a library he had until I was fortunate enough to go over to his house and he opened up his garage and instead of cars, there was row floor to ceiling bookshelves <clears throat> and everything that you could have imagined right it was incredible yeah and so that's where i got to you know ch- you know check books out and read them and return them and and this went on for a number of years down there and he started to sell his, his books off and a large part of my library came from from jay gorham's that's cool library so that was really cool 
But in 2002, um, I saw an article in Magic Magazine about um, TSD, the second mm-hmm. deal. Yep. <clears throat> and I'm, I read, I read the For people thing, that don't know what that is. The second deal is an online forum that was... Uh, is this still around? It's still around. Okay. And it was hardcore card guys. All they, all they talked about were card tricks. It was invitation only. You couldn't join. You had to be referred by a member to get in. And that's why I read, I read this article on Magic. I'm like, oh my God, I want to be a part of this. Right? So I emailed Jason Alfred. He was the runner of the website. I'm like, hey, here, here's who I am. I'd love to come <clears throat> because they have this conference every year and I wanted to go to their convention. And he's like, I'll sponsor you. I got a reply. And I was like, so excited. So I think it was 2002. It was St. Patrick's Day. And I know this specifically because I dye my hair green every year for St. Patrick's Day. And I'm in the airport. And I'm flying to Atlanta, Georgia for mm-hmm. my first TSD convention. Now, I had been to larger conventions like the World Magic Seminar and um, a couple others. I can't remember the names. But this was a small conference of hardcore card guys only. And <clears throat> I remember this because I walk in with my green hair, you know, and the, I was late. The conference had already started. I get into the hotel, and you know the door to the entrance to this room is in the back. And then you walk into the back, and they've got these two banks of chairs. And then at the far end of the room, you've got Jack Parker and Andy Gladwin standing up there doing um, their lecture. Mm-hmm. And I walk in, and Jack Parker and Andy Gladwin are the only two people that can see me because they're facing the audience, so I'm coming in the back. And they stop. Mm-hmm. They just stop and stare. <laughs> right, and because they stop and stare, everybody turns. Everyone around. else <laughs> turns around and looks back, and, and I just kind of wave. I'm like, "Hi!" And that was my introduction into the TSD world and uh, meeting all those guys. Yeah. Uh, but that is one of the pivotal moments of, of my life. You know, going to that conference because I met Ricky Smith mm-hmm. and I met John Modine there, um, two very close friends. And you know Jack Parker was there. I mean, this was a who's who of magic conferences. It was incredible. Um, David Solomon, Costa Kimlet, um, Tyler Wilson. It just the list goes. Uh, Josh J. List goes on and on and on and on. It was mm-hmm. just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, really good talent. Really good, hardworking, dedicated guys towards the field, which was great. And I yeah. think that was you know having influences like that at the very beginning are like really important because that you just learn the right way at the beginning. Yeah. So you basically you know fast forward you know this is how you should be done properly yes you know? yeah yeah what do you think about people that are getting started now and they have the chaos of opportunity which is you could get in touch with any magician but probably they have all these other opportunities yeah that they're working on and it's I, just harder to the road to success hasn't changed the only thing that has changed is the amount of information there's just more advertising on the road okay you know what i mean Okay. Like, so you're, you're still you still have to drive down that road, but mm-hmm. the problem is now is that there's so many distractions and so many signs, right, to okay. move you off your path mm-hmm. that you have to be even more focused than you were before. Um, that's the best way I can describe it because you've got now a, a, the age of information where I can go on to Google and Facebook and YouTube and Google a trick how to do X, Y, and Z, which is fine, which is great. I think the I think that's fantastic. But the problem is you don't know the source of the material that you're learning from. You yeah. don't know if it's a quality source or if it's something that's not quality. You know, you've got yeah. all, a lot of these tutorials that are being made um, that aren't from reputable people mm-hmm. that aren't really teaching the proper technique. Yeah. And so that's the challenge. You know, how do you sift through all the white noise out there and be really focused to, yeah. to get what you want. And so I think that you're still going to have to put in the time and the work and the effort and 
you know, the only way to, to really succeed is to, to perform. I truly believe that. That is the only way you're going to get better. That's, a, that's, that's it. You just need to go out and do magic and perform and perform and perform. Why? Because you don't really know how a trick plays until you get out there in the real world. Uh-huh. So I can be, I mean, the first, <clears throat> I would say, eight years of my magical career, I was focused on hardcore technical moves, like a move monkey. Like I loved all the, the esoteric, Ernest Eric, um, you know, crazy stuff, like crazy hardcore technical things. Because from a magic standpoint, you know, you have a pretty, you know, you, once you start consuming magic and learning magic, you yeah. want to go, you just learn, 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 learn. And so you, you kind of skip through a lot of the basics and move towards more of the hardcore stuff, yeah. which is fine. But sometimes this hardcore stuff doesn't have a practical application in the okay. world. So I'll be working on the, these crazy card techniques that from a magician standpoint, uh, it would please me. But from an audience standpoint, they'll bore them to death. Okay. Right, and it, the only reason why I found out that a lot of the stuff that I was working on and putting a lot of time into didn't work was when I really started to do paid gigs, and it just I wasn't getting the reactions that I wanted. Like, and I, I realized pretty quickly that a lot of the material that I'd spent thousands and thousands of hours on was co- complete crap. Yeah, like complete crap in the real world, and um, and I'm not justifying anything for technical. Uh, proficiency because you need to be technically proficient right but you need to do it and know how to do it in the proper way yeah um like ace assemblies and things like that you know these things with resets and backfires and multiple counting techniques and stuff and it doesn't play in the real world i mean i have a very short list of things that i run through my head if it doesn't fit those boxes i i skip it it has to be um uh requires no table Okay. It has to have uh, instantly resettable, mm-hmm. and it has to be. Uh, I have to do it completely surrounded. Yeah. Right. If it doesn't, if I if I'm looking at new magic now for to buy or to learn or something like that, if it doesn't hit all three of those, I move on because the world I perform in, I, I mean, I do ninety percent strolling magic. Yeah. And ten percent shows, and the, the environment that I'm in is you're in a cocktail environment. People have a drink in one hand. They might have a food plate in the other hand. There's no table. It's loud, and you're surrounded. Yeah. What do you do? You know, you have to have lots of material that plays in those types of situations. And I feel like a lot of the material that's coming out just doesn't play. Mm-hmm. You know, in that environment. Now that's my environment. But the great thing about doing that, setting those really hard techniques and restraints, is that I start with the hardest. And if I'm given a table, it's almost like. This is amazing because it just opens up my repertoire because I can do all the material I can standing. The, the table just gives me so much more power. Yeah. So when I have a table, it's like Christmas because it's, you know, I can do so many other things. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to start at the top and then move your way down. And the other thing is if you, got, if you guys are learning out there and you want to do a lot of card mm-hmm. magic, um, I attended a summer school class with Jeff McBride in 2003. Eugene Berger told me one thing that changed my, my card trick magic for forever. And it was Matt Shillian's four things you need to do to do excellent card magic. And this is four things. Number one was you need to know a pawn, yep. you need to know a control, you need to know a false shuffle, and you need to know a force. Palm control, false shuffle, and force. And if you know those four things, you can do excellent card magic. And I remembered that. And you know, you just continue to build your toolbox. You have multiple palms, multiple controls, multiple false shuffles, and multiple forces, and you can use them in, and play them at any time that you want. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, you know, that's another thing. Yeah. No, it's a great tip. And that's a great book. 
uh, the Shoeing book mm-hmm. is wonderful. Aaron Fisher recommended I read that several years ago, many years ago. I haven't read the book. I just know those four things. Oh, it's good. <laughs> Full uh, disclosure. It's funny, though, because uh, the magic in there is very American magic, which is like, you know, the technique is he worked at a bar. It was He worked at his own bar in Chicago, and his technique was like what you do for people at a bar if you're like a grumpy old man. He wasn't grumpy. He was like lovable, and everyone did. But like his palm was like... It wasn't. It wasn't the beautiful, effortless sleight of hand that we see Ricky Smith doing. It was like really hardcore. This is what. This is like the minimum you have to do to make it work. Sure. Uh, which I'm not shitting on that at all. But like, it's amazing how powerful your magic can be, regardless of the elegance of your technique. And I, I'm a proponent of elegant technique, but. I struggle with that internally, which is like, I want everything to feel effortless. Um, yeah, what I'm focused on now is just audience reaction. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not, not audience reaction, it's audience engagement. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you increase the maximum engagement with what you're doing? Yeah. And that's the name of the game. Um, and so that's how I pick tricks and, you know, I've perfected things over the years just to increase the maximum amount of engagement. Yeah. Um, I just read an article. I, I haven't finished it, but it was by Josh Jay in the last issue of Magic, mm-hmm. and uh, it just was awesome about those those two statistics with the case studies he did about um, how many uh, like we all know generalities about like okay, well we think people like Magic because of X, and we don't think people like Magic alone. Why? Well, the case study talked about like the number one reason why people like Magic is because of surprise, mm-hmm. and the number one reason they hate Magic is they've seen the same tricks before. And just having that from a scientific standpoint is really interesting, you know, and I can't wait to read the rest of the, the white paper on that, but um, hopefully we'll be able to utilize that and just continue to refine what you're doing. Yeah. So. You're perfor- okay, so I told you that I wanted to talk about this, which is the fact that you have a real job. You have, like, a real yep. official job where you have, like, a Google calendar. I don't have a Google calendar. <laughs> I should. I Outlook. Should I live by Outlook. Outlook. Yeah, which okay. is fine. Same thing. But, like, you have a real, like, strenuous job. Yeah. But you're doing more gigs now than you have ever done, yeah? Last year I did more gigs. This year I dropped a little bit because of what I'm, because of work schedule. But, sure. Yeah, I work in the investment industry. I handle our, what's called strategic relations. Yeah. And I, all that is, I, I travel a lot talking to advisors. And what's great about my job is I do presentations to advisors <clears throat> at BD conferences, mm-hmm. and I'm able to blend magic tricks with uh, the investment presentations that I'm giving. Yeah. So the, uh, typically they're uh, like a practice management type of presentation where these advisors have their CFP and they're going to get you know continuing education credit, but I'm able to weave in magic at the same time telling the investment story. Mm-hmm. So my company is completely on board with that. So yeah, I, I mean I travel about two weeks a month on average. Which is a lot. In addition to doing shows yeah. um, for for uh, for the side, and uh, it's magic's my part time business and part time professional magician. Sure. Yeah. That's how I kind of describe myself, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm very honest with you know uh, event planners or people that <clears throat> hire me, and like they are blown away when at my gigs they're saying, "Wait, you only do this part time?" They're like, "You should do this full time." You know, all those comments, <laughs> which is it's just a fun compliment. Yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's a very different game. Like you have to be. I'm a, I'm a professional by day, yeah. You know, but then I'm a performer, 
with magic, you know, in the evenings when I do yeah, the shows. Yeah, performer in the evening. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I do about average of two gigs a month, which is which is totally fine. Yeah. Christmas, you know, November, December are busier, but yeah. Um, yeah. How do you not collapse of fatigue and death? How does mm. that not happen? <laughs> well, so the day job is uh, very structured. Yeah. Right, and so that is a. I, I crave structure too, so I, I feed off of it, which is is good. The magic is my outlet, which is my stress release. You know, it's my fun. I get to go play yeah. type of situation, and so the magic for me is not work at all. Mm-hmm. I just get to go and destroy people and have a great time. Yeah, and I love doing that. Yeah, yeah. And so that's my fun stress release, and I love having mm-hmm. the duality of it. Um, I work for a long time behind a desk, and I just am not that type of person. And so my new role is I'm traveling all the time. And uh, when I travel, too, I get to meet up with other magicians locally and hang out for a couple hours for lunch or dinner or whatnot. But you just got to balance. The other thing is, too, working out. I go to Orange Theory a lot, which is a local gym. And, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of running. An hour, yes. And you know, the most you get efficient to, hour of your life. You said you get to shut your brain off because everything is there. You got to find a way to, to just shut down your brain. And focus on nothing else but working out. And Orange Theory is a scientific approach to working out. So you wear a heart monitor. And um, basically, it's a cross between group fitness class and personal training. And you go in there and you have to spend so, so many minutes in different maximum heart rate tiers. But what's great for me is like I go, I don't have to think. I get ordered around for an hour and I come out of there and it's awesome. It's a complete, it's almost meditative, uh-huh. you know? And you, in, it's very difficult, but you come out of there and you're completely refreshed and you're ready to go. So it's mission critical to, to do the working out. I have more energy going working out after than I did before. I know it sounds weird, but I do. <laughs> no. Well, you've got all the endorphins and, and stuff coursing through your body that you got from exercise. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's rad. I should do that. You should. Yeah. I need to stop committing to things on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Rahul, Rahul forced me into something last night. What did he force you into? I'm not telling you. Oh, I'll find out. I'll, I, should, I should text him right now. <laughs> you should text him right now. Um, but you'll 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 see. Okay. Cool. He wants me to do something at the garage. Oh, you're gonna perform? We'll see. <laughs> so it's not a performance as much as it's like uh, fleshing out an idea. Maybe. There's two things I wanted to discuss, and I'll, I'll just kind of... Is it cool if I just kind of... Yeah, get off please. Topic? Yeah. All right. So, you know, in Magic, and I know most of, these guys, most of you guys listening are for, like, just, you know, hardcore tricks and whatever, but yeah. I'm all about that, too. But I think there's... Magic involves other areas, and I look at all different areas in life to try to improve the Magic. And I think 2016, for me, was a very transformational year when you came yesterday or on Friday or... I can't remember. A couple days ago, we talked yeah. about... How it's, I'm kind of like, how you doing? I'm like, well, it's like a rocket ship right now for me. Yeah. And there's there's two things that have played a pretty big role in that. Uh, number one, um, I met with a... <coughs> you, you choking on something? No, I started to laugh, and then I started to choke on something. Awesome. Okay, go ahead. <coughs> you okay there? Yeah, I'm good. Just continue. <coughs> Elliot's drinking water. He's going to be okay. We're good. Okay. <coughs> So I met with a color expert um, down in L.A. Ooh. And someone my mom went to, and uh, she went and spent a four, four days with this program. And it's much more than that. It's like an image consultant type situation. Back, to back up a little bit. 
Suzanne Cangill was a woman who developed the seasons of color and how to dress people back in the early 40s and 50s. And she was the one person that was instrumental to developing like the winter season, the summer season, the spring yep. season, the fall season for different color, <coughs> color palettes. Yeah. The well, theory of color and, and how it's presented on right. the human form. She was the person. My mom actually trained and went to um, Suzanne Kegel back in the day. And she spent time with all these other color experts as well. And she went to meet with uh, Taylor Sinclair down in L.A. This is why you and, keep saying these are my colors. <clears throat> right. Here we go. There's much more to that. Exactly. Yeah. So my mom went down there, spent four days with Taylor, and it was a life-changing experience for her. And so she, she wanted me to go, and I couldn't commit four days due to work, and so, but I could do a one-day thing. Yeah. Well, Taylor doesn't meet with clients on the weekends, but the only time I had was a Saturday. She made an exception, mm -hmm. and I flew down on a Saturday to meet with Taylor. And what this is is she go through a toning process. So I sat down for the first two hours, and she held little cards up to my face, right? Different textures, different colors to try to put me into one of four main tones. All people fall into four tones, tone one, two, three, and four. And it's it's more than just looking at your complexion. She asks you questions based on your personality as well. And what she's trying to dial in is the specific tone that resonates with your personality and just your body energy like all over. Yeah. So and she's trying this. to do this as methodically and quantitatively as possible. She... Um, it's very expensive, and she's done eight thousand clients, and mm -hmm. she only works. She works with professionals, so yeah. a tremendous amount of lawyers go to her mm -hmm. to learn how to pick the proper colors for dress. Yeah. Right. So I did the first two hours. She toned me, and she then before she told me what my color palette was and showed it, she asked me to read this 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 one page sheet of description words and different phrases. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, sure. She's like, read this sheet and tell me what percentage you relate to this mm -hmm. do you relate to this 10 percent 50 percent 100 percent whatever yeah. go ahead and read the sheet and tell me based on your own personality those phrases and words how 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 on point is it well i read the sheet and it was 100 percent. so i'm like this is me like this is how i think this is how i act this is this is me and she's she's like great um you're a tone three i'm like wonderful what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> and then she pulls out this color palette and i look at it and I almost had a heart attack yeah. because I'm looking at this. Spoke to you. It was beige and brown and green and just think autumn colors, like uh -huh. you know the fall leaves turning brown and falling to the ground, and yeah. you know this these horrible looking yellows and shit browns. And and I'm just like, yeah. what is this? And like I'm, I'm like seriously, Elliot. I had never bought a piece of clothing that had ever associated with these colors in my entire life yeah right so then she's like bring five items and i want to you know want to see so i brought five of my items i bought a blue suit and like a couple other things and we went through all five items and all five items had to go out the window yeah right because nothing fit my color palette basically to let everyone know um, blue is not a color that looks good on me or mm -hmm. resonates well with my energy tones and so I had to get rid of all my blue jeans and everything else. So basically what happened was I threw out 97% of my entire clothes. You didn't call me? <laughs> They're actually in the garage. <laughs> There's three bags left. Okay. Three, that we sent 15 bags to consignment or right. to, to Hope. We donated sure. to Hope. But Wonderful. we've got a couple bags left. But 
the point is like <laughs> I just it was a complete transformation and then we spent um, after the first three hours we spent the last the, the rest of the five hours or six hours shopping at Macy's so I flew into LA this sounds like my dream she picked me up we did tons I spent the whole day shopping with her and then I flew back that night Right. Yeah. So I didn't have a hotel room, just in and out in one day. It was um, it was unreal. And so now I'm the type of person that will just try, I, I will go full bore into it, just make the decision and move. And so I'm like, yeah, we're going to implement this and see how this works. So I threw out all my old clothes and we bought a complete new wardrobe with the color palette. And I have to tell you, like every single day I've wore these colors 100%, I've received a compliment from a random stranger every single day. Yeah. And not only that, you just you don't do it because of the compliments. You do it because you want to feel better. And the only way I can describe that self is I have a different energy presence now. Um, I just feel more secure, more concrete, more grounded. I can think clearer. It just sounds crazy. It's almost like magic, guys. So this is like the real work from from that from the color perspective. And the reason why I did it was for a couple of reasons. One, I'm always in front of people and I want to, you know, you have seven seconds to make an impression. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and I wholeheartedly believe that. But this for me has been one of the life changing things that has just propelled me. Just, this is incredible. And yeah. I'm moving forward. The other one is I read a book. Hold on. I don't want to talk about that. Okay. All right. <laughs> this well, is, it goes hand this, in hand. So go for oh, it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I wow. love this stuff. So how do, do you find yourself like, having a gut response to other people and what they're wearing now and those color tones yeah because i can look at people's tone i can look at people's dress i can be like they don't look right but i now know why yeah because their tone they're 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 mismatched with their tones and the problem is a lot of fashion out there right now they 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 have clothing that has mixed spectrums Mm -hmm. involved in it and it's very difficult to find clothing. So from a shopping perspective, it makes things so much easier. Like I can go through a, a Macy's or Nordstrom's like within minutes and it can identify the things that work. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And it's yep. so fast. So yeah. it, it just it cuts all this. I mean, you know, you talk about eliminating white noise, <coughs> going back to your earlier comment about <coughs> how to focus on what's important. Yeah. Like I now have the framework to focus on this is what I need to be focused on. Yeah. And I have a palette. Um, you know, I've got a I've got a palette that's with me that yeah. I, um, I basically um, it's like a color palette, like a fan deck that you would use if you were painting your house. That I keep that with me, in addition to um, saying a, a couple couple key words. And the words that I use, like if I pick up an article of clothing, um, the words for my tone is uh, dynamic, rich, rich, textured, angled, sure, and substantial. And so those are the those are the words that relate to me. If, mm-hmm. if the article of clothing is not dynamic, rich, textured, angled, sure, and substantial, then I put it away and yeah. I move on to the next piece of clothing, mm-hmm. right? So it's great. So it has to fit the color palette and it has to, has to fit those key words. So it's not just looking necessarily at the color. The color could be right, but if it's not angled and sure and you know textured and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. How am I doing? No comment. No, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, see, the thing is, I, I don't know what your tone is, so Taylor would have to, like, tone you. I know, but what I'm saying is based off your gut reaction. Because all look, of my clothes are this color. I think you look very well put together because um, you know, the spectrum is, is on it's point. It's tight. Yeah, the spectrum's on point. Um, the only thing I would hesitate on is your jacket because that's it's a bit mixed. Yeah, um, but everything else looks good. See, you, you got a blue jean shirt, blue jeans on the bottom. You got brown shoes. The laces look good. You're not mixing gold with that. Nope. You know, you don't have any gold on anywhere, and you got a silver watch on. 
so you're doing pretty good. Yeah. But here's the thing, like I don't I don't know if blue is the right color for you to wear. Like that would be unfortunate because everything I own is blue. But well, that was I feel. I know, I know, but I I that's I'm very interested in doing this now because <clears throat> this is that's kind of my passion. This is gray and blue and brown. So these this is a tonal match. This is a tonal match to the two different blues. It's you know I'm 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 thinking about the whole ensemble, mm-hmm. and so like I would be very interested to know if my if if the tone that she set for me is in fact what resonates with me the most because I feel the best in blue. We'll tell you what, man. I never bought a brown shirt or yellow sweater in my entire life. Yeah, and I was always repulsed against it. Yeah, my entire life. Yeah. Like, I didn't own it. Yeah. I owned all blue. I owned mm-hmm. all red, like bright red. I can wear red, but like a rust red. Yeah. But I can't wear any blue. Yeah. My favorite thing was blue jeans and a, you know, or a blue suit. And so that for me was like a very difficult, like, I was like freaking out. Mm-hmm. Like, the, uh, like, what the hell am I doing? Is this right? Because I, I've never associated Theron wearing these colors. Yeah. But I've felt phenomenal in it. It's like the most, it's the weirdest thing to say. Like, you have to forget everything you ever thought about how you pick out clothing, mm-hmm. throw that out the window, mm-hmm. and just start completely fresh. Mm. And that's, this, you just have to jump in and, and trust. Yeah. Like, she's the professional, I'm going to trust you, and yeah. go with it. I want to learn how to do it. It though. was pretty incredible. It was yeah. a very awesome experience. I recommend it for anyone. I'm trying to get my brother to go down there, and you know, he'll, he'll go down there. You'll make yeah. him. <laughs> oh, yeah, I will. But the other thing I wanted yeah, to talk about, thing? too, was I read this book. I didn't read it. I actually got the, for full disclosure, I got the audio download. The Life-Changing oh Magic God, Just of Tidying Up. It's okay. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Yeah. Um, oh, I had this book recommended to me. Have you read it? No. But I heard that it was amazing and life-changing. It's, okay, here we go. It is life-changing. It is life-changing. And basically, she, she she puts together the framework for tidying up your house. How to get your house in order. The scotch is pretty good, right? It is the good. I'm one. moving on to the second yeah, one. I haven't yeah. tasted it yet. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I'm sorry good. I interrupted you. Oh, you're fine. I'm eating... That's really nice. That's very spicy. Mm-hmm. A, little, a little smoky. Smoky on the end. I love it. Um, please. Yeah. So, um, life-changing magic of tidying up. This was um, recommended to me by a couple different people, and I finally just did it, which is great. I'm happy I did. And what she does is she outlines steps to how to clean your house. Mm-hmm. And she starts with, like, clothing, then go to books, then papers, then she calls what's called Komodo, then miscellaneous, and then uh, mementos. And how do you clean up your house effectively? How do you do it in a way that doesn't uh, have any um, um, rebound? Like, so you rebound effects? Like, so you'll yeah, clean up your room, and then a month later it's dirty again? Oh, okay, sure. You know, how, do you, how do you do it one time and not ever have to do it again? Yeah. Right. Well, that sounded appealing to me, so... What we did, or what I did, was I implemented her strategy at the same time with Taylor. And so what this book talks about is going through different stages of your house and eliminating items. So I'll just tell you how I did it with the clothing. She says take all your clothing that you own in your entire house and put it in one area and pick up each item, right? And you pick up each item and you ask yourself, does this item 
bring me joy. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a yes, Check throw it. it away. You don't try to organize. Yeah. You pick it up and say, does this item bring me happiness? Does it bring me joy? And that's what you're trying to get to. You're trying to get to just the things that bring you joy. And so I did that in conjunction with you know, doing this with Taylor, and that's how I eliminated so much stuff just with the clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, this thing that people have a hard time with is eliminating books. And I know magic books are, are specific, but in general, most people have a lot of books. Most people also have a lot of books that they haven't read, mm-hmm. but they have they've bought books with the intention of reading them. Yes. Right? And so you might have, I mean, I have books too. I've got a pile of them sitting over there in the corner that I have the intention to read them. And the problem is when you go through this elimination process, people um, try to put things in three piles like um, don't need anymore, wants, or will read. Right? Well, she recommends not doing that because your will read pile is just going to accumulate and you won't end up throwing anything out. So here's the real key factor, the thing that she said, that which was awesome, which helps eliminate all your crap. And she said that... Um, to the for the books that you haven't read that you have the intention of reading throw them out because that book has already served its purpose you will not read the book she's worked with thousands and thousands of clients and no one ever goes back to the book but what that book did when you bought it the book has already served its purpose even though you haven't read it because you got fulfillment for buying that thing at that time yeah right and I thought that was an amazing powerful statement and I've gone through the kitchen and eliminated like 30% of the kitchen and I'm going to now work next on my magic stuff. I was going to do that tonight, but I'm going to probably do it later this week. Yeah. Going through and sorting all the stuff and everything else in your household. But you basically pick up every item in your house and you say, does this give me joy, right? Or if you're if you're confused about it, has this item served its purpose, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. easy. And I didn't, never thought of it that way before. So that was like freaking awesome. And so... The second part is like I'm trying to eliminate all my crap because I fly so much now this last year for 2016. Like I've lived in airports and hotel rooms and stuff, the, the majority of it. Mm-hmm. I've lived out of a suitcase and I come back home and I have all this stuff. I'm like, do I really need all this stuff? Yeah. Like how much stuff do you really need to live? Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I'm trying to eliminate as much clutter as possible so I can get down to a very efficient, very optimized living situation. So when I come yeah. home, you feel relaxed and like you, you just feel amazing. Yeah, so can I recommend a book to you? Love it. Yeah, uh, it's by Matthew May. Okay, and it is called Effortless Effectiveness. Okay, it's great. He goes through all these different case studies about how the tiniest changes that you make can have the biggest impacts, and like. There's a a large portion of the book that deals with home space and how, like, you know, people will spend a ton of money to build a a huge house that they only spend their time in, you know, 15% of that house and everything else catches dust. So it's the same kind of eliminating and optimizing space as well as time. So Mm -hmm. I just, I think you'll be interested in that that book. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. It's basically just optimization and I'm super interested in like life hacking and body hacking and mind hacking and things like that so that's like when you open yourself to a different perception of an object has this served its purpose yes I don't need I've never thought about that quote before in my life that's what I'm saying is like when you get that Mm -hmm. you go oh shit my whole perceptive 
perception of life just changed. Just go go home right now, or like you're probably at your house. Look at your look at all the crap on your desk. Yeah, like all the little knickknacks and the trinkets and all the crap, right? Which is fine. You might have some mementos and some sentimental things, but really look at it for a minute. Yeah, and pick up one object and say, does this item give me joy? I guarantee you. That like at least seventy five to eighty percent of the crap on your desk doesn't give you joy, mm-hmm. and it's just there because you've had it at one point or another. Yeah. Maybe it's something that reminds you of it something gave at you some joy. point. It gave and you now joy. Now it has served its purpose, right? And that's the thing too. All, these, all this crap that we have holds us back from our true potential, and that's where I'm trying to get at. Okay. I'm trying to let go of the entire past, mm-hmm. let go of things that have been holding me back, or these memories that I've had, or, or, or whatever that are probably very good memories and, and things that are very enjoyable at, at that time. Yeah, sure. But I don't need to hold on to it anymore. I yeah. need to move forward and make new memories and, and just crush it. Yeah. And so you have to make room for these new things. And the only way to do that is to let go of all the stuff that's surrounding you so you can really just sit and think. I think one of the greatest things is to go to a hotel room and just sometimes just sit there and like, man, there's all it's just clean and fresh and there's not. And then you come back home and if you haven't cleaned up, you're like your mind is cluttered because your desk is cluttered. Yeah, you know, and it's got to be clean, mm-hmm. and it's got to be free of all these distractions. And I'm not saying get rid of everything, but I'm saying if it doesn't give you happiness or joy, right? If that's not the instantaneous reaction, you need to pitch it and just get rid of it. Yeah, pretty incredible stuff. No, I agree, and I, I like, I, I didn't, I don't know why, I don't know why, but. Actually, I didn't know why. When I was in college, you know, I moved out here right basically a couple months after I graduated. But when I was with in college, I was dating a girl who is incredibly messy. So our house was just covered in clothes and trash and random shit. And it made me crazy. And so when I moved out here, and I got in my car and I drove out here. So I could only bring with me what I could fit in my car. How amazing. How, how, what a great feeling. It was. And I got out Probably here. Probably scary, but you did it. It wasn't that scary. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Amazingly, it wasn't. But you can only take what was necessary. It can only fit so much stuff because you had one car. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And I got out here and I got an apartment and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Ikea and what do I need? A couch in case people come over. A chair in case I need to sit and two people. You know, like I have enough furniture to fit three people in my house. That's it. No one, No more people will ever come to my home. I'm not that kind of person. So like... That's it. I have a everything's very low to the ground. Mm. It's all clean lines. It's all like because it's IKEA. It's all very Nordic and like uh, mid-century style stuff. Do you and know this whole kitchen is IKEA? By the way, is it really? Every single appliance in here, everything is IKEA. Yeah, I love it. I love Sorry, IKEA. Keep going. No, uh, we can nerd out about IKEA. Um, but yeah, I just I in, my intention was get as little as I need and keep it as clean and uncluttered and you know i was like actively rejecting and actively um rebelling against this six-year relationship that i was out of and trying to distance myself from it and trying to become a better person you came to ggg two weeks after right yeah i remember that me too (laughs) that was a great fucking weekend that was a great fucking weekend anyways lots of good memories of ggg anyways um yeah, um, one of my favorite ones is Ricky smoking a cigar in the lobby of the hotel. <laughs> another one was having Dan drop a shot glass full of liquid onto, um, um, what's his name's wife? Um, oh my goodness gracious! Why I'm 
Mike Gallo's wife. Oh yeah, from the sixth story balcony. Yeah. I'm surprised we were allowed back multiple times. <laughs> we've 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 pushed limits at that hotel multiple multiple times. Oh yeah, oh, we God. get kicked out of that suite every year. Every year. Every, <laughs> every year. I take responsibility for part of that. Well, what's, what's troubling is like every year I try to tell them, look, I need the suite plus I need every room in the vicinity, the one next to it, the one on either side, the one above, and the one below. All right. So there's no noise. Like, give me the top floor. Give me the end and give me the three rooms that surround it plus the room below. Yeah. And that's what I try to do, and they never do it. My like, guys, you're gonna get room complaints. Just get like give me the room block, like that whole wing, so we don't bother people. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. I know. It's crazy. It's great. I made Kent Gunn very nervous at the last one. Because Maddie and I were standing out on the, the balcony. And you know Maddie likes to wrestle. You've wrestled him. I can't win. He's he's a Maddie. You're a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you low center gravity son of a oh, bitch. Oh, he beat me so bad. And he's like really strong. Mm-hmm. Fuck Maddie. Anyway. Not just not, <laughs> not just a pity wrestle. I mean, legitimately, he I have destroyed. Like he takes me down to and you're done. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Kent obviously does not know this. He also does not know that Maddie and I are friends. He's out on the balcony. Maddie and I are out on the balcony, and we start arguing, and I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight you, Maddie. And he's like, whatever, and I throw my leg up on Maddie's shoulder, and I'm like climbing on top of him, and Kent is like, hey, what are you doing? You're gonna hurt him! And I was like, no, you don't understand. This guy will throw me off the balcony. <laughs> right now. I know. I'm defending myself. It was so funny. Yeah. Oh, Kent. You remember... No, I'm not gonna... I'm not going to share that on the podcast because there's the word I don't want to say, but the first time I ever met Kent. Do you know that story? Were you there for that? That's not going anywhere. Next topic. <laughs> I love Kent. Don't get me wrong, but... Kent's amazing. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you after the podcast. Cool. Sounds good. <laughs> so you said your two things. So why? Why? Why 2016? Why? What was it that changed for you that allowed those two things? Was it the shift in the job and the traveling and the being a lot. in front of people? That had a lot to do with it. Like, mm-hmm. the shift in the job happened in 2015 in October. And so 2016 was the full, first full year of this crazy amount of travel, different li- living lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just... Uh, oh, here's the other thing I want to say. Um, it's pr- there's, a, there's a grid as we age, and I, I can't remember the case study, but um, you can Google this. When we're young... Um, we we value things differently, dif- differently as we're young versus we're old. Yeah. So when we're young, we, we value material objects uh-huh. uh, with great detail, and we lust over them. We spend you know the first maybe 30, 35, 40 years of our life accumulating these things, and then there comes a shift around forty five to fifty, where we don't value material things with as great um, as great as experiences. Yeah. And so what happens is the later parts of our life, we value experiences more than things. And it's a scientific study. You can check it out. I mean, it, they've done it multiple times. Sure. But the fact is, like, there, there comes a point at around 40 years of age where that shift majorly happens. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. And I don't know why it's 40. Um, it's but fear, it happens. It's fear of death and a realization that items don't go with you. To the afterlife, they're essentially meaningless, and that you have to live your life in a way that is if you were alive. 
I think so the experiences are more I think there and I think there's some truth to that too and for me it just came a little bit earlier and yeah. I think for a lot of us in our generation I'm 33 I know you're younger you're 23 but even with the millennials which is my generation or the Gen X and Gen Y yeah. which are which are you guys yeah. I believe I'm I Gen Y right. Gen Y I'm a millennial you're a millennial if you're born in the 80s you're a millennial right yeah so, so yeah, um, we're both Gen Y. I think a lot of these the, the kids nowadays are, are are looking for experiences more than things. I think they have yeah. a better realization. I mean, they still want material items and stuff, but mm-hmm. I think that people are craving these experiences. Yes, and that shows itself in the change in restaurants, the change in eating habits, the yeah. change in where people are spending money. Yeah, because I've seen it. Because now people just don't want to go out and have a a meal at Chevy's or a meal at like Chili's or yeah. Like, you know they want to have a meal that has some experience behind it yeah and so you've got this whole generation of restaurants that have popped up that have a pretty good experience around the farm to table situation or where food's sourced they're they just have a different and the lighting and the aesthetic everything everything is which is amazing i think that's fantastic yeah but i think it's really critical to realize that yeah when you get older the the stuff is meaningless yeah the only thing that you're going to have to take with you are the experiences that you have circling back to magic and that's why I think magic is so important mm-hmm. you know because it's a, an experience that we can give people that they can never have anywhere else like I had a, I had a show I had a gig on Friday and these you, you know you had, have these people there's a couple couple reactions that it, it just feels so good fooling the absolute crap out of people mm-hmm. it's the best way to describe it mm-hmm. you know I mean like literally people are, are they are literally screaming. shit their pants have that happen yet but you know that could be your goal but as a matter of I fact have different, yeah. we'll see on Friday we'll see it. <laughs> you're gonna be shitty no. uh, yeah but I think it's fantastic you know just having people screaming and like running away and I did a there's a couple things that I did and just just yeah it's an amazing feeling, but giving that experience, that experience of surprise, mm-hmm. and you know, Josh J was really able to define that. And I always jumped around this, and I think yeah. from now on, when I describe people, you know, what's the most important thing? Like, why do you do magic? It's to give people the surprise, yeah, because that's what they're craving. And I think that's a great, a great succinct way of describing that. Because we can all dance around, like, what what is it we do? It's giving that sensation of surprise. Yeah. Well, it's it seems, I mean, it's good that that's quantifiable, and that Josh wrote that article because it's a, a great. Yes, that's necessary for us to hear from a magician. But when you look at comedy, which is, you know, the better looking brother of magic, (laughs) uh, that's what a joke is. Is it's you set an expectation, you verify the expectation, and then you subvert the expectation, and that's what a punchline is. Mm. And so, surprise in magic is here's what's going to happen. Look, it happened. Now something unexpected has happened and you were surprised. That's what it is. It's surprise. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And then astonishment is is something that's deeper than surprise, but it's not why people like magic. Probably because a lot of people have not experienced true astonishment from a magician. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. I don't I don't think yeah. a majority of people that well, I, I run into two breeds of people. People who have never seen magic before, which mm-hmm. is the majority, and then you have people who have seen magic before, and then you have, there's three people, and then the people who actually do magic or know some tri- some tricks, Yeah, right? And it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you're going to get fooled very badly, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that all, the, all three of those people have different levels of experiences because on Friday, I had a group where we had people who had 
were true lay- laymen. Yeah. And then I had the one magician in the group, which they all knew he did magic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so he was the barometer of the group, yeah. per se. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And so I had to, um, I had to take him down pretty yeah. hard and pretty fast in order to gain approval of the rest of the group, yeah. which is what I did. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see what level. And what I typically do is I hand the deck to them mm-hmm. before I do anything. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you do magic? Show me something. And I put them immediately on the spot because I need to. I want to judge where you're at. Yeah. Like, are you the type of guy that knows that one? What basic material card trick? do I have to bust out to? Right. What What, what level am I gonna have to go at to get to get to him? And yeah. he he declined to do a trick, and that told me right off the bat that okay, well, this is probably some guy that knows maybe four card tricks. Yeah. Right. Which is what he did. Mm-hmm. And it's always it's always, it always fascinates me like what stuff like these guys go for. Yeah. You know what I mean, and so I have you have to stay away from the standard stuff like double lift and and just don't don't do anything that involves that because yeah. they know that, mm-hmm. right? So just do stuff that's different, and then yeah. you'll destroy them. Yeah, but um, I still think at the end of the day they're gonna still have that magical surprise even greater than their friends because they think that they know everything there is to know. They about have magic. different expectations, and so then and higher right. expectations. And higher. And when you subvert them, they are fucked. It's completely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> completely amazing. Yeah. You know. mm-hmm. I want to get back to the thing where you were talking about people are craving experiences now, our generation especially, and I want to put to you do you think that is because of the materialization of experiences, the commoditization of experiences through social media? So now an experience equals likes, comments, shares. You know. I disagree completely. Tell me about it. I think that even I think that a human interaction is more valuable, more so today than it ever has been before, because mm-hmm. we have a generation that is not experiencing human interaction. They're only experiencing on the likes and the shares, and they have a different viewpoint. You know, you've got a whole group of people that are becoming almost socially inept, mm-hmm. so to speak. They they don't know how to really socialize, and so when you've got, and I'm just I'm being very broad. I'm of course, very, we're broad very broad strokes. This is very broad strokes, guys. So, yeah. anyways, um, so anyway, we don't like this kind of no. Go- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Polacks, no, I'm just. <laughs> I think though the main point of it is that yeah. you've got um, the, the 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 human interaction, the boots to the ground. When you actually go meet somebody else and do a magic trick right in front of them, mm-hmm. is going to have an even more powerful response than it ever has before. Yeah, I just think that's even greater because I think that it's you know our most of our consumable entertainment is via a screen. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and we I think we're almost forgetting how to tell you know good stories comes back to the you know if you want to go all the way back to jeff mcbride and talking about shamanism and all that and you know i know, I know that weber has a saying too whoever tells the best story wins and something mm-hmm. like, something around that yep um, oh you know it was only in your movie or whatever <laughs> he says that in our magic perfect yeah it's in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah got it so um <laughs> No, there's all there's it's all it's it's very true. It's like yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's like you've mm-hmm. got to have that connection with somebody. Yeah, and I think people are craving that. Mm-hmm. I think people need it. I think people want it. Yeah, and when they actually experience it, mm-hmm. they're like, oh my god, this is wonderful. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I just had that thought of the commoditization of experiences, and I was like, this is interesting. I just want to throw it out. No, it I, is. I'm a hundred percent in with you on that because, and I just recently had this conversation, which was. People are yearning for 
I mean, podcasts are unbelievably pop- popular. And it's just radio, basically, except you can have it when you want it and you get to choose what you want. But the reason is because it's people having conversations like this. Long-form, genuine connection. And there's, of course, there's like Doogie and the Butt Sniffer kind of radio podcast stuff. But like the stuff that is really resonating with people, like This American Life... That is a narrative driven by people sharing very vulnerable, powerful stories. Every episode, you know? And that's mm. National Public Radio. Mm. So I agree, people are yearning for this connection. And so now my question is, are they yearning for it and going out and do it, doing it because they don't have it in their own lives? Or because what they do have is not vulnerable and... Uh, I guess I'm not I'm not posing the two different sides correctly, but it's the difference between uh, like I want this because I need it because it any interaction is lacking or I want it because the interaction that I have is lacking, hmm. or maybe a combination of both. Because I don't I don't think it's fair to say that everyone most of like people's entertainment comes from their phones. Mm. That may be true, and you know, I, I just don't have the information. But I think our generation and Gen it, Z. I didn't say phone; I said screen. Oh, so, okay. Well, there you, you go. know, you've got phone. You TV, did the hand. Computer. That's what I remember. Yeah, but well, you said the, screen. You know, you're right. You're right. It's moving towards mobile, but yes. you've got you know right. TV, video, and you've got your computer, and then you got your phone. Yeah. And you know, think about <clears throat> where you get your news. When was the last time you picked up a newspaper? You might be the minor- like the minority, but like because I'm an people. old man in a young person's body, dude. <laughs> There's something about reading a book. It's just it's interesting. Yeah. Um, but, but you're right. Getting the news from a notification. Yeah, I mean, from, just for me too. Like yeah. I appreciate going to a live theater a lot more so now than I did when I was a kid, and that's just coming with maturity and age mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, I've cut out video games. I hardly watch TV. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. But just going to live performances mm-hmm. not just magic shows yeah. like everything it's everything, super anything. different experience and very powerful do you think it's because you have become um, a magician where it is about the live performance rather than the tricks now and so you 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 appreciate that form in other arts I just other. enjoy it I appreciate it a lot more and just just, just in wa- general just yeah. in general okay. it's just I just like going to do it yeah you know, I know that there's a couple I mean the core group here you know is David Clavins Michael yeah. Feldman Rahul and then myself and so those are like that's like brain trust and they, they got those guys are instrumental uh-huh. in our development because we're all very um, thick skinned but very thick headed we all have very <laughs> strong personalities and they're yeah. all very different yes and so the arguments that we have are are they're arguments, but they're constructive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. So, like, I might be working on a trick for months, and I think it's amazing, and then I show it to these guys, and they're like, this is crap. And then I'm like, well, no, because X, Y, and Z, and then I, I'm trying to defend it, and then they just break it down in some very salient points, and I'm like, you're right, this is shit. Yeah. Pitch it. It's important to be able to take the ego out. And it's also... There's no ego. No, no, no. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Is like in that moment, like you can't be like, "Well, fuck you guys. I know I'm right." You know, like, and you wouldn't do that because these are your super close friends and people you trust. But I mean, like, just in general, as life advice, 
you know, rem- remove the ego. Yeah, it's not about that at all. It's like just like that. it's all about improving. Like we're all trying to get better. You yeah, know, and just kill it. That's the whole name. Of the yeah, game. I agree. Well, that's what I'm saying is like if that's your goal, you can't. You have to fight the reflex to justify or to defend yourself, and you have to. So, I was thinking about this uh, on the drive up, which is uh, Dan and I, Dan and Dave and Amanda and I were having an argument at dinner. Amanda's my girlfriend. Uh, we're having an argument at dinner about if you can have a savory dessert and they were like amanda's like no it's still part of the meal and i was like dessert is not what kind of food it is the time in which it is eaten you can have breakfast foods for dinner you don't call it breakfast you call it dinner because that's what time you're eating it right Mm -hmm. so my argument is you can have you could go to a dessert place but it's all savory stuff like cubes of cured meat and like weird it's irrelevant to any conversation but I, I consider myself to be someone who, if you say something that is right, or you can convince me that I am wrong, I will immediately accept your point of view and immediately accept your feedback. But if you can't work around what I'm arguing or what I'm saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that you're right for you and I'm right for me. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think it's important. And the reason I say this is because Dan's like, Elliot's never wrong. <laughs> because I'm, he's like, you should do this. And I was like, no, I'm going to do this. And he's like, but you, you ought to do that. And I'm like, no, I should do that. And it just this back and forth thing. And this isn't about magic or business or anything, but it's like personally, right? <laughs> so we go back and forth. And he's never once been like... Here's why you should do that. And I go, oh, yeah, no. Okay, that makes perfect sense. But I do do that. God, that's funny. That was really long-winded and rambly. But I, I think the point I'm trying to make is, is like, listen and take it. Yeah, I mean, because here's the deal. Like, you, you can't be an expert in every area. Yeah, like, You're going to totally. have your expertise in one area. Yes. And, you know, the other guys are going to have their expertise. And so we all have our expertise mm-hmm. in different areas. And it only works if you guys, you know, come together. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's, uh, and it, you all, you also learn together. Like, I wouldn't be the magician I am today if it wasn't for those three guys. Yeah. Just bar none. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I did, I started doing the show with David Clavins in Palo Alto. We did, uh, we set up a table in the street, did street magic, right? To sell tickets. Mm-hmm. We weren't passing a hat. But we we gather a crowd and, and pass out flyers to our show yeah. in Palo Alto, and that's how we built the. That was the very first iteration of how to how to. How to Which that's brilliant, if I may say so. I it was love that really hard work. Yeah, like it sucked. It yeah. was so hard. But Busking is hard. Oh my god! It, you talk about trick selection and what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. You will find out real fast. Real fast. What works and what doesn't from real people on the street. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's very scary too. And you can have thirty iterations of it in a day. Yeah. Know, like, but the thing is, you can you go through so much material. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can you get real good real fast, which is awesome. Yes. Which is why I said at the very beginning, the only way to get better is to perform, perform, and perform because that's it. You can't. That's that's the name of the game. Yeah. If your goal, like, I guess it depends on what your goal is. Your goal is to blow people's minds. Like, I just want to be... No, my goal is, when I'm done, I want people to say, that is the best magician I have ever seen, ever. That is my goal. And if I'm not getting that, I have a problem. 
Yeah. And that 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 is my goal for when I perform magic. And so it, that that's it. Okay. It's the ultimate effect. <clears throat> that's beautiful. Yeah. Simple. But not everybody has that goal. No. Yeah. Yeah. But you're trying to crush it. Trying to cr- I think you should be crushing it. If yeah. you're not trying to crush it, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. That's a good question. Because I ask myself, am I crushing it? I don't know. We only have so much time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm okay with that, though. And I'm okay. I'm not saying it's... Yeah, I'm fine with that. But yeah. what I'm trying to say is I want to just maximize the amount of time I have and just live. Yeah. You know, I don't want to live in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't want to live in the future. Yeah. You know, I want to live right now. Mm-hmm. And I want to experience as many things as possible and, and have as, as many experiences as I can. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's why I think you just need to work as hard as you can every single day mm-hmm. to to do what you love. Yeah. You know? There's things that you're... You know, half of life is doing things that you don't want to do. You're, mm-hmm. there, there, there is a part of life where you have to go to you have to go to work. You have to you have to make money. You got to there's things that you have to do, yeah. but you still have control over that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? You mean sometimes you're dealt a hand. You can't really. I mean, you're, we're all dealt hands, right? Mm-hmm. And the only thing that we can do is our reaction to how we play the hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like so, I I have no control over what the outside world is going to bring upon me. Yeah. Right. My only control. Is how, how I react and respond yeah. and play against it. And I have complete control over that. We talk about that in my work too. You need to focus on the areas that you can control and not focus on the things you can't control. Mm-hmm. So what are the things in your life that you can control? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the things that I can control, I can control my thoughts, which mm-hmm. is a huge thing. I can control my emotions. I can yep. control my reactions to situations. Yep. And I can control the willingness that I have to work, like the work ethic behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't control what other people are going to do. I can't control what other people are going to say. Yeah. You know, not everyone's going to like your magic. Not everyone's going to like you. And that's fine. But it took me a long time to realize that. You know, when I was a kid, I couldn't speak in front of people. I was deathly afraid of public speaking. And I was super shy. And, uh, yeah, I took public speaking classes in college to kind of overcome that. Yeah. And it was a big win for me, you know, because I knew I wanted to do magic. Yeah. So, if you're, if, you know, if you're afraid of, like, getting in front of people, I just say, just do it. Yeah. Like the Nike slogan. It's also not as bad as you think it's going to be. Cause like, and that, and that, I think that's pretty universally true. And you're going to fail. Yeah. You're going to 100% fail. And that's not as bad as you think. And it's not bad because what's the worst thing? That, like, <laughs> you just thing. took the words out of my mouth there and I don't know what we're going to do here. <laughs> yes. What's the worst thing that can happen, right? Yep. What is the worst thing that can happen? If, like, let's say you're doing a trick and the trick doesn't go well. Yeah. Oh, well, it's just a card trick. It's just a card trick. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. And I have failed, like, you know, I was doing a trick and you, typically I have outs for everything, but uh-huh. this this one situation, I did not have an out for it. Yeah. I got to the culmination of it. I was cutting open a lime, pulling out a card from inside the lime, right? Yeah. And it was the wrong goddamn card. And I was dead. Like, there's just no other way. Because, you know, you can't just pull the card out of your pocket now because yeah. it looks like stupid because this was coming there from was the lime. There was a solid buildup in the lime. And everyone was full, like, how did you get the card in the lime? But it was the wrong card. Yeah. And I looked, you know, you know what? And just said, you know what? Well, that one didn't work. Let's move on. And we went on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, um, that's the worst thing that can happen. But I think, like, for me, like, understanding that it's okay to fail and it's mm-hmm. going to be fine. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's a card trick. Yeah. Well, but in life, too. For sure. You can't you can't grow without failure. Mm-mm. And I think we learn the most, we learn more from failure than we do from success. Yeah. 
and that, that slogan's been said before, but I think unless you've experienced failure firsthand and you've experienced pain and, and just you know, discomfort, you really learn, you know, yeah. what's important to you and, and what you really want to focus on. Yeah. And people talk about success and failures that they're opposites. Failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is a portion of success. Exactly. It's a journey. Yeah. It's not, yeah, failure is just not, you know, Edison said it the best. He's like, I didn't fail a thousand times. I just found a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. This is the third episode in a row that's come up. Are you fucking I swear to God. Are you kidding me? No, you're right. You can say fuck. (laughs) 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 Fucking killing it. Killing it. Crushing it. Crushing Crushing it. Crushing it. Crushing it. How are you feeling? Doing good. You you did put play, right? We are... (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's nice to see you. (laughs) It's like, and this is awkward. (laughs) Um, what What do you think is magical? What is magical? Well, anything that... I mean, I go back to the the quote from Di Vernon, and he says, anything that's mysterious is magical. Anything that you can't explain is magical. It's in the, the spirit of Di Vernon. He he's quotes that and that. Um, for me personally, I just... I love being fooled. I think magic does exist. True magic. I think I don't, I don't have to see it to necessarily believe it. I just feel it. I just know it. Mm-hmm. There's been too many coincidences in my life that... I, the only way I can describe it, this is magic. I just was in the right place at the right time, and this is like this is just too perfect. And yeah. I know we've all experienced that before, uh-huh. and so I think that you know it's a great gateway of just showing people. My what I think about it is like, hey man, just open your eyes, like fucking open your eyes. Yeah, put your phone away, look yeah. up, and just open your eyes yeah. to what is around you. You know, I feel a lot of people walk around as zombies all day. Not paying attention to anything. Do you do you feel that magic is strong in the gigs that you're doing because of the area where you live? Stronger? Do you think it is stronger here than it is anywhere else? No, I think. What What do you mean? In say, Podunk, Louisiana. Just you know. And the reason I ask is because this is the Silicon Valley-ish tech, Northern California area bubble, whatever you want to call it. Expand on that a little bit. What do you mean? What do you think the people are or what? Well, so, you know, people are on their phones all the time. Well, you're saying just look up, just open your eyes. I, I that's say, what's magical. I, I, I'm just using the open the eyes as a, an experience. Like, so for instance, I'll just, get, I'll just give you some framework. Most people, when they walk around, they're constantly thinking about either past events or future events. They're not thinking about the now. Yes. Right. We're, we're concerned about the things that have happened to us or we're concerned about what's going to happen to us. Mm-hmm. And we're not living in the moment. Yeah. Right. I just open your eyes and experience for what it is currently. I think most people are just walking zombies and they're not really here. Mm-hmm. They are off in space, yeah. not focused. So what magic does is it kind of gives you that that lightning bolt of a jolt to go, what? Yeah. You know, wait a minute. Everything else shuts off and now I'm here in this moment. Now I'm, I'm living. With you are impossible. For just that brief second, you are living. You're like, holy crap, wait a second, how did that work? And you question yeah. Right. We stop. We stop questioning. As we're kids, when we grow up, we question about everything. How does that work? How does that work? And then you take it for granted. I give the light switch example. Mm-hmm. You know, you turn the light switch on, the lights come on. You turn it off, the lights go off. Well, how does that work? Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's a wire and blah 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 blah. Well, that's kind of magical, you know. Yeah. Um, 
I think the technology and magic will always keep pushing itself. I think magic uh, is usually at the forefront of technology until mm-hmm. technology catches up, and then it's not magic anymore. Yeah, you know, uh, and that's happened throughout time. Yeah. Um, but just going back to the point, you know, I use the screen thing for as an example because literally people are are looking down or at a screen. Yeah. And I've tried. I've I've put I have deleted Facebook and Instagram off my phone multiple times for long periods of time just to unplug. Yeah. You know, and it's amazing how you don't miss it. I miss it initially and I find myself checking my phone to check my status updates or whatever like what's going on in the world mm-hmm. and then after about a week those withdrawals go away. Yeah. And I find that I can actually think clearer and yeah. cuz you sp- there's some horrible statistic out there that I don't know the percentage, but there's a high percentage of your time that's spent checking Facebook. Yeah, you know, and it's it's real bad. But yeah. to, to, the only difference about Silicon Valley versus the rest of the United States is that there is a lot of smart people confined in a very small area, mm-hmm. and it is a very hyper competitive, very cutthroat area. And mm-hmm. so there's it's a no bullshit mentality here. And that's the only difference. Like, I really enjoy traveling to other parts of the air- country because it's like you leave California yeah. and you go to Louisiana or you go to any other state. You go to yeah. Austin, you go to Texas. You just, and you can, you take a breath and you can just chill. Yeah. You know, it's like everything slows down and it is so amazing. It is so nice. Yeah. And the, the people are, are just have a slower pace of life. And I think that's not a bad thing at all. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's the nature where we live in, where yeah. I live in at the moment. Well, do you think that having a slower pace of life is kind of like having your eyes open and living a little bit? Not necessarily in every occasion, but when I'm speaking from my experience, which is, you know, people that are living slower are living more purposefully. You know? I, I can I, you know what? I, I don't disagree with that, and I think I agree. Like I, two weeks ago, I was at an event. And I was hired to do magic, and there was another guy there, and he was flown in from Iowa, and he was a real cowboy. Mm-hmm. And he was flown in to sing songs and tell stories. I have to tell you, he had the deepest blue eyes that I've ever seen. Yeah. And he you had, could swim in them like a pool. No, you could. Like, yeah. Listen, he was an older gentleman, yeah. maybe in his like, early 60s, maybe late 50s. Okay. You know, silver hair. Um, had a black cowboy hat on, had the vest, had a belt buckle, had the blue jeans, had the cowboy boots, but not like a performer. We're talking, this was like he just got off of a horse. Yeah. Right? But clean. This is what he wears you know, every day. It's like freaking John Wayne yeah. getting off a horse looking like a million bucks. Mm-hmm. But you look at him and he's fit and he's chiseled but mm-hmm. weathered. Yeah. And you you just felt this calming presence. Like you look at him and you just you just instantly relaxed yeah. and wow, I know this guy is a very kind, very loving person. Mm-hmm. And I had some wonderful conversations with him about how he spends up to a year at a time by himself moving cattle through Iowa and the backcountry. And mm-hmm. that's what he does. Yeah. Just in the wilderness. And it's just fascinating. And that's in, and you know, he's had a great life. Mm-hmm. And I just think to myself, you know, when I go camping with my brother, we go camping. We try to do one backpacking trip a year. You unplug from everything and it's so peaceful, but it takes you two or three days to really unwind. To get at ease. To get at ease. Yeah. And then when you're finally rested, you realize... This how, is what it is. This is what it's all about. Just mm-hmm. the relaxation standpoint. Like true relaxation, unconnected from everything. And that is true magic in my opinion yeah um 
Yeah, it's hard to get away from that, and people who don't take vacations scares me. Yeah, you'll snap. You have to. Yeah, There's, it's it's unsustainable. Yeah. <clears throat> I love the wilderness. I just like being slow. You know, I'm the, I'm a southern boy. I don't like to move fast. I don't like to do things fast. <laughs> I don't okay. think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not trying to say that you have to be uh, no, don't please. That's not competitive. Of just, course, you know it's. No. Uh, I I'm just speaking for myself. I that, I didn't think that you were directing. When I talk about me. crush it too, yeah. it doesn't have to be like you're moving at a mile a minute. You just need to have a purpose to what you're doing and make mm. sure that everything that you're doing is for the right reasons. Has intentionality. That's right. Just don't just stop forward. wasting time. Yeah. Like just stop wasting time. Like just burn your PS4. Like mm-hmm. throw it away. Kill the video games. I killed them. Yeah. You know, I canceled my cable. I don't know, but I'm cr- I'm kind of you know. Well, those are the things that are that work for you. Yeah, and it could be completely different for other people. But I just yeah. figure out what gives you joy in your life. Yeah. Figure that out. Yeah. And figure it out fast. How? How do you do it? How do you figure out what brings you joy? Start by Being writing a list of helps. everything that you do. Yeah. Like. I would say start by writing a list of everything that you do during the day and then estimate how much time you spend doing those items. Mm-hmm. And then go down the list, just like with the life-changing magic of tidying up, does this practice give me joy? Does this give me joy? Does this give me joy? Now, granted, some of the things you're going to have to do, but I would wager a lot of the time that you spend is on things that don't necessarily bring you joy. Like I watched a tremendous amount of TV for a long period of time, mm-hmm. but what was coming from it? Not much. Yeah, it gave me joy in the moment. Yeah. But it, it wasn't adding to my development, and I wasn't progressing as a human. Yeah. Like, I find much more... It's much more impactful to listen to podcasts or books on tape when I'm on an airplane or or reading. You know, I don't read enough. I need to read more, and one of my goals is to read a lot more. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm mm-hmm. forcing myself to actually read and be more educated because I just want to be more well-rounded mm-hmm. in general. Just it's good business. Sure. You know, you have to be. Um, so just find, just make that list and figure out what works and what doesn't. I don't have a magic bullet for that, but I think that you need to figure out, like, write write out everything that you want to do in your life. You know what I mean? Like, what's your bucket list? Yeah. Freaking do it right now and make sure you start checking those boxes off because if you don't write down that list now, you're going to have that same list in 10 years. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in the same spot and you probably haven't even checked off anything. That's yeah. Lot, and that's a, that's a really sad, unfortunate real, reality. Yeah. I'm all, yeah, I'm all about... Uh kind of maximizing the enjoyment of my time but instead of like instead of eliminating things that are wasteful I'll try to find the joy in the waste so like I got here 15 20 minutes early and I just drove around and looked at the houses and you know kind of tried to get a feel for the area and you know I drove around in the cemetery right there and you know and that brought me joy but that's you know you know I equate that to being a thing that I can do that is like going out in the wilderness. It's like I'm here for you know 15 minutes early. What am I gonna do in 15 minutes on my laptop or on my phone that's gonna help me down the road or whatever? Sure. Nothing. So let me yeah. be present. Let me drive around. Let me that's get a cool. feel for the you know. So it's kind of like going. Take some time to do that. You know. Yeah. You know this year, uh, Dan and Dave mm-hmm. and uh, Justin. And um, Rodney, 
mm-hmm. myself, my brother, my brother's friend. We all took a ten seven day backpacking trip. That was the, this year. That was last year. That was earlier this year, summer. Oh, maybe it was last summer. I don't know. Because it was after GGG, right? I don't know. It was either this summer or last summer, but um, <laughs> it was in the recent past. Yeah, it was the Canyonlands in Utah. Yeah, maybe it was last summer, and we did. Um, yeah, it was like ten days out there right. or seven days, and Jason and I were, were a little apprehensive because um, you know we have much more backpacking and or just camping experience than the Bucks do, which was fine. But um, it turned out to be an amazing experience for everyone mm-hmm. in general. You know, we. Um, um, we had a wonderful time out there, and we hit all all sorts of weather. The first night we had 100 mile an hour gusts on this ridge. The second night was snowing, and the third and fourth night out there were complete, just perfect, absolutely perfect blue sky. And we were able to do some uh, astrophotography with stars. Wow! But it was the third night. The Canyonlands is the most remote national park in the United States, and it literally takes three days to drive in mm-hmm. to get there because um, to give you some perspective on how difficult it is, we had gone five miles, and it took us two hours, two and a half hours to drive five miles because of the terrain was so treacherous, mm-hmm. and all, th- all three vehicles were um, lifted four-wheel drive vehicles, and the problem is small problems become the small inconveniences can become major problems out there because it's so remote. Mm-hmm. So if you break like an axle or a, a CB joint or pop a tire, it could be a massive problem. So you have to be very careful mm-hmm. when you're out there to not break anything. Yeah. And so when we get out there, we, we camped at the dollhouse. We walked to uh, an Indian grain house, Indian reservation grain house. Yeah. And we actually saw Native Americans like where they store their food. And then you come back and the area we were called was the dollhouse because the rock formations looked like faces in the rocks. And so you could be walking around and see these different faces. And when we camp, we're the only people there. There's yeah. no one else for as far as you can see. That would have really freaked me out. Hundreds, hundreds of miles. Yeah. In any direction, there's no one else there. Talk about looking at stars and just really relaxing. I mean, we cook good food, bring a cigar, mm-hmm. bring a bottle of wine. You sit in a chair and just look up in the stars and think. It's yeah. amazing. It's a wonderful experience, and and uh, you know they they did a great job, and hope to do it again soon. <laughs> they did. They no, did I believe job. you. No, yeah, 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 no, that's that's gorgeous. I just, I yeah, I like, I really, it resonates with me. That's my idea of crushing it for me personally. Crushing it is like doing nothing. I love it. I don't want to do a damn thing. No, seriously, sitting there in the chair looking at the sty. I would like take a moment to be like crushing it. Well, you did crush it because you know what effort it did to take you to get there. That yeah. was your freaking reward. Yeah, that's true. We spent three days. That's true. Busting our ass to get there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Plus yeah. the two days driving to Utah. We drove from California yeah. to Utah. That took two days. And then it was three days of driving off road to get to this campsite. Yeah. You're crushing it when you get there. That's right. <laughs> How are you doing on time? I know you had. We're good, man. Whatever you want to do. Are you sure? Okay. Well, I've got... I mean, we talked about fashion. Um, what is it... What do you think it is that, like, energizes you about scotch and wine and cigars? What is it? What is that? What is that appreciation of that? Where does that come from? How does that make you feel? Answer uh, any or all of those questions. I don't know. I like scotch. I can appreciate it. Yeah. Um, 
Why do you want to? Some people don't want to. Mm. Oh, here. Here's the answer. The answer is this. Um, I was diagnosed with celiac disease eight years ago. Yeah. And so it became gluten-free. Yeah. And I used to make beer. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have beer being celiacs. Mm-hmm. So you have to find different alternatives. And so I didn't become... I didn't get really into scotch and wine until I couldn't drink beer anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there's gluten-free beer, but it, it's horrible. So you just... Yeah. Don't want to do that, and so that's when I started getting scotch and learning about it. And uh, there's a documentary on Netflix you can watch about it. Yeah, but most people don't give a shit. Why do you? I think it's um. Well, I would rather have a drink and appreciate the drink for what it is versus trying to get drunk. Mm-hmm. So I don't drink to get drunk. Mm-hmm. I drink to appreciate the taste, mm-hmm. and I can appreciate the different flavor palettes of old scotches versus new and really good wine mm-hmm. and I've just developed that over the years mm-hmm. and I think that's just a different mentality like yeah. a lot of people go out to get wasted for like let's take shots or whatever and mm-hmm. I'm not about that yeah like I don't want to do that mm-hmm. like I yeah I mean we can go out and have fun yeah but we're going to be drinking a really damn nice bottle of wine and doing it at the same time yeah 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 I don't have a better answer than that Sorry. really I thought that was going to be like 15, 20 minutes that we could just jam it out. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, dude. No, that's okay. Because, I, I mean, for me, the reason that I like scotch is it started as a young person. My dad built the second story of our house and did everything. He did all the air conditioning, he did all the electrical, he did all the finishing, put in all the carpet, the walls, everything, I mean, all of it. And he had this, uh, these, he built like a little smoking perch uh, on this big window that he put in, right? And the upholstery for this chair, this little ledge, had martini glasses on it and little musical notes my dad was a uh, jazz sax player when like 30 years ago just for fun uh it had pipes and cigars and glasses of whiskey just in the upholstery of this chair and of this perch and he also had this cool like i don't even know what kind of style it is but it's like a wicker chair but it's like molded and shaped and it's really weird and it rocks and he had that upholstered also with this fabric. So, like, I grew up around this. My dad would smoke cigars, and it was just very manly and cool, and I, I, I dug it. I was into it at a young age. <laughs> I was, like, five years old. I was like, give me one of those cigars. Um, I was also, like, super into David Letterman as a child. Yeah, I, I had a weird taste. That's cool. But uh, it kind of started there, and as I was growing up, I was... Um, a loner and I was smart and I didn't want to be doing what the dumb people were doing and so it kind of was like as I started growing up and wanting to experiment with alcohol you know when I was like 16, 17, 18 I didn't want fucking Natty Light and Jaeger I was like I want to do what an old man does I want to smoke a pipe and drink a fine single malt scotch hell yeah (laughs) It just is sexy to me, the idea of, like, having a, a, I like, I think having the knowledge is sexy, the sophistication to appreciate it is sexy, and I don't mean sexy isn't, like, sexually attractive, I mean it's just, like, a, an energizing thought, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I like, I like the image that I paint of myself, for myself, have you seen, um, 
the Nick Offerman Yule Log video? No. You know who I'm talking about when no. I say Nick Offerman. Uh, he's a an actor in film and television. He's most most no, well known for his Ron Swanson character in Parks and Rec. Oh, I know him. Yeah. So he has a YouTube series called My Tales of Whiskey, and he partnered with uh, Diageo, which owns Lagavulin and Talisker and Oban and a couple of other uh, scotches. And he does like little two and three minute videos about him being like this man character and drinking Lagavulin scotch or, you know, Oban or whatever. And they're these fun, informational, educational little videos about scotch whiskey, but they're also like really funny. And he has this one video where it's him sitting in front of a fireplace. It's called like My Tales of Whiskey Yule Log. It's him sitting in front of a fireplace with a bottle of Lagavulin in a glass for 45 minutes looking into the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll, he'll like sip from the glass, readjust, and it, for 45 minutes he's just sitting in this chair, like slightly adjusting his position, getting comfortable, pouring whiskey, drinking it. That's it. That's all the video is and him like looking into the camera. And But he, this is in the library of his home, which is like, you know, he's a woodworker. He's a man who works with his hands. He builds canoes and shit. He built his library. It's like dark, mahogany, beautiful, leather-bound books that really serve no purpose other than to be there as art. Sure. You know? And, like, when I was a kid, this is something I've seen recently, but it's kind of the embodiment of the area where people drink whiskey and smoke pipes. I was like, this, you know, erudite, manly library in a smoking jacket and a pipe and a glass of whiskey. I was like, "That's what I want to be." That's cool. That's a great image. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing it though. You are doing you know? it. You're living it. You're living the dream. Yeah. I always say that people, people ask me, "How are you doing today?" I'm like, "I'm living the dream," and it gets a visceral reaction, like, "What?" You know? Because yeah. like people usually say, "Oh, we're doing yeah. okay," but no, man, living the dream. You gotta be doing that. What's your dream? <clears throat> living it right now. I know. Yeah, doing it. Doing what I'm, I'm doing it. If I wasn't be doing it, I'd be changing it. Yeah. That's why I'm changing everything right now. Yeah, yeah. And moving forward. Yeah. Just getting rid of the past, and it's like just making major change. Yeah. Um, yeah, the wine thing's cool. I've gotten big in the wine just recently. I joined a wine club in Napa called Casteo de Amorosa, mm-hmm. and they're fantastic, and it's like an amazing experience. It's a castle that was built in Napa. It took 17 years, and each brick was hand-carved. It just goes on and on and on. But um, it's phenomenal, and yeah. we—it's just epic. And so, um, I've yeah. seen pictures. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyways, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, um, I know, but I mean, like, yeah, it's, yeah. Fa- it's a fantastic experience. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really good experience, and I think that going back to an experience, I could have joined multiple wine clubs mm-hmm. up in Napa mm-hmm. and had multiple different wineries, or I can like spend a lot of money at one wine club. And have an amazing experience, and that what I—that's what I chose to do. And I have another friend, Jay, um, who does it as well. Yeah, and uh, he's a coworker of mine, and we go up a couple times a year and go to some parties and events and have a lot of fun. That's but awesome. I, I can appreciate—I just like wine. Like I've gotten to like wine a lot more, and I don't have any major story, just something that developed, and yeah. primarily because I don't drink beer anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I've gotten into wine, and two of the documentaries that I watched on Netflix was Som and Som Two, phenomenal, Mm -hmm. like phenomenal. And like I don't, I am not a wine expertise. I just like, I like enjoy wine. Yeah, and I enjoy very good wine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's about it. And I also enjoy Scotch. You know, my dad was a Scotch drinker. He also smoked cigars occasionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never smoked cigarettes. Just um, 
you know, never appealed. Yeah. Sure. But the cigar situation, I always thought it was kind of kind of a cool, relaxing thing. I'm like, why do people do this? Like, let's try this. Yeah. And it is. It's a very, like, after a nice meal, sitting down with a cigar and scotch and just chilling like we did the other night. Yeah. That was so fun. It was it, it just, was one of the best nights of my life. It was, was ridiculous. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Just telling stories and... Yeah, that 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 night cannot be recorded, but <laughs> no, it cannot. <laughs> it could have been. We just would not Maybe. have shared it. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know. Um, yeah. So okay. You ready for what? I'm not gonna. We're not gonna get too deep into. It, other than, mm-hmm. you're someone who's been around very supportive magicians. Mm-hmm. You put on a conference. Mm-hmm. So you, you've been to a bunch of magic conventions. Mm-hmm. You know a lot of really good magicians. We have both, at some point or another, scratch that, we know female magicians. And what's that all about? <laughs> like, how, what, how, because this came up with Rahul. It came up with Alex Hansford, which I did on Monday. Yeah. I got an email from... Uh, Sarah Rodriguez, who is a phenomenal car technician from Spain, and she replied to the stuff I talked about in it. And it's kind of like I just, I just, I want, I'm tired of not talking about it. Well, and if you don't want to talk about it, what question do you have? Like, I mean, what's. It's like, why aren't there women in magic? I don't know. Okay. I mean, we know female magicians. What are their experiences? that you have heard that you think we could do better with. I don't know why there's more. I mean, I think it, you know, you're going to gravitate to hobbies that you enjoy. Sure. You know, guys, most, you know, most guys, I don't know how you got into magic, but you know, you're you're shy and whatnot, and you're you're trying to meet girls. Mm-hmm. I think that's a path that a lot of a lot of guys take. Okay. That's one. Um why women get into magic? I they enjoy it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that at the bottom line is they, they find it fascinating and they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know if, if they're, you know, I think magic is like a lot of the products and things that come out are mostly geared towards men. Yeah. You know, if you think about just the magic products that are manufactured, mm-hmm. they're manufactured for men. Mm-hmm. All the wallets, there's no female wallets, mm-hmm. pink wallets out there. Yeah. There's one. Jerry O'Connell makes a pink um, small plus wallet, right? That's the only card to wallet that I know that is a female version i'm just using pink as a generality and i know girls have other colors of wallets yeah. but i'm just trying to say like most most wallets most products are built for guys mm-hmm. that's the market yeah um i don't know you know i know that there's a couple of magicians out there that a couple of female magicians that are, are working with um other magicians about coming up with specifically designed um products for for female magicians i think yeah. that's great i know tom stone was working on something like that um I don't. I think female magicians are awesome. Yeah. And I wish there were more of them. Yeah. You know, we've got. You know, Jade does it a fantastic show. You know, uh, being a female magician. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a lot of them out there. Yeah. As to the reason why, I can't. I can't nail that, man. Um, yeah. I don't. I, mean, I don't know that anyone can. I just. You know. I like to talk about it so that people listening will think about it. It's something to think about. Yeah, it, it is. I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. I think, uh, I think, I think uh, our generation and Gen Z coming in uh, are open and accepting and like really supportive of of equality generally. 
And I think, you know, for anyone listening, but especially the younger listeners, uh, you know, when you're doing a trick and a, and I, again, now I'm just assuming that all of my listeners are, ma- are male on that. I know that's not the case. Male listeners, when you're doing a trick and there's interest from a female, just because most, if not all the magicians you know are male, do not, you know, disregard their interest. Uh, you know, the best, uh, I had uh, some, some advice that Jay Gorham gave me that for my first, one of my first mentors in magic. He said that you got to be very careful when you do magic. Who's your audience? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and when I'm out performing at a gig, yeah. you know, I'm 33, mm-hmm. and maybe I meet another couple in their 20s or 30s or, you know, 20s or 30s, right? Yeah. And they're on a date. Mm-hmm. And I have to be very cognizant mm-hmm. of the man-woman relationship there. Yes. Because I don't want to seem threatening yep. to the guy. Uh-huh. And I don't want to put that foot forward and i don't want him to think that i'm trying to steal his woman because that does happen yes and it will happen if Mm -hmm. you perform um there's lots of big egos that fly around because here you have this guy coming in doing amazing things getting Mm -hmm. a really good reaction out of his girl that he probably has never seen before Mm -hmm. right yeah and jealousy does does trip up now if i'm 60 years old yeah and i'm performing for that same 20 or 30 year old I can do different things, mm-hmm. and I can get away with different things, and I can say different things. Mm-hmm. Versus if I'm 30, like mm-hmm. there's things that when I'm 30 that I cannot do. Yeah. Versus 60, and I'll give you a perfect example. Um, you know, Kim Silverman is mm-hmm. a wonderful magician. Yeah. And I I don't know how old he is. I he's maybe 50. He, he could be 50. He could for those be of you that 10, don't 000. know, and, and Kim is an he's a dear friend and he's, he's an amazing a magician. Yeah, he looks like a wizard. He, for those of you who don't know, he looks like um, Gandalf, mm-hmm. right? Or Santa Claus. Or he just, I mean, he wears wizard outfits as daily clothing. Like yeah. he's the he's a true wizard by he's nature. A wizard. Yeah. But he does this amazing piece to women where he takes their hand and he looks deep into their eyes and he kisses their hand and he's got like this like little phrase that he says. But he is a lot less threatening mm-hmm. to a. 30-year-old female or a 20-year-old female Mm -hmm. than I am. If I were to do that same thing and the dude's like... The The perception of that is The girl's boyfriend standing right there, I'll get socked in the face, right? So what I'm trying to say is you have to be very cognizant of who your audience is and Uh the perceptions that you you put out. I think with women, um, and I'm just saying this, I think that they have a tougher time doing magic than than guys do, Mm -hmm. just in general. And it's an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked. I mean, I know personally two, um, three. I know personally three or four female magicians yeah. pretty well, and I know that they've shared personal stories with me about how they perform, and mm-hmm. it sucks. Yeah. Like the stuff and the shit that they go through is horrible. Yeah. Right. Sexism, guys being rude, mm-hmm. um, treating them like crap. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that as guy performers, but I know they do. Mm-hmm. And this is a day to day business. It's a day to day thing, and it's something that they have to consider yeah. when they go out and perform. Yeah, you know. And I think that it's just it's just more difficult. And there's different questions you have to ask yourself, and there's different things that they have to think about as they project the type of magic that they're doing. Yeah, you know. And so it sucks. It you know I don't have a good answer for it, but that might be one of the reasons why there's not more female magicians because it's they have a different set of circumstances that they have to go through mm-hmm. 
than than, than guys do. And yeah, I hope I'm coming across. Then no, better. I think yeah, I think this is this is great because you're a worker, you're a performer, and your your take on this question is from the outward instead of the inward. Instead of magic community, how should we treat women? It's like women just have a harder time performing because they have a harder time moving through life. Because of misogyny, because of overt and covert sexism, because of glass ceilings and so on and so forth. Just the perception of someone. And also men and other women just being threatened by someone who is doing impossible things. Sure. You know? Yeah, you're, I mean, you just it's just a different type of energy that's put out there. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And... You can still be very accepting. I mean, we, we live in California, and it's a very accepting place, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you try to not judge, mm-hmm. and I hope that everyone out there is, is not judging racially or, you know, sexually or, or whatnot. Yeah. I hope they all come from an open place, but there are areas that don't feel that way. Yeah. You know, there are areas that are still very set and very old crude ways of thinking, mm-hmm. and you're going to encounter that. Yeah. Everywhere you go. Yeah. And uh, it's just, you know, I mean, I still encounter it too as a, as a male magician out there. You know, there's certain circles that I walk into and you're just, oh, you're just the hired help, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you're treated like sh- absolute crap. Yeah. And I've, you know, I walked up to, uh, this happened on Friday. I walked up to a group and I'd say, would you like to see some magic and, you know, or whatever. And I am, and I think they were the, this is some VPs or some way high up executives of a mm-hmm. company. And um, I could tell immediately that this was not the right group to do magic for. Yeah. Just based on the energy, I could feel it. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, do a trick, right? And so I do uh, extreme burn, you know, ones to hundreds. And I always have the line, like, hey, if I were to turn this into anything, like, what would you turn it into? And mm-hmm. the woman said, quarters, right? As a put down, like, you know, just type of a... It just was, like, it didn't... They, they didn't see any value mm-hmm. in a magician, yeah. And so two things that I've learned through my experiences is one, you never have to put up with rude people. Yeah. And that's typically my opening trick, right? And so but that was also my closing trick yeah. for that group. Mm-hmm. You know? And so you're gonna run into like horrible people out there. Yeah. Negative people, and it's fine. And you're gonna encounter it. And I just shoved it off I just rub it off. I'm like, great, it was nice meeting you guys have a has a great time and I didn't show them any more magic. Yeah. But that was the only thing that they got to see. Because mm-hmm. later on in the night I found groups of people that were very receptive and they were loving it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're gonna still get it, whether you're male, whether you're female. You know, we're all going to run into people mm-hmm. that are shitty. And yeah. it goes back to my other point about you're going to be dealt cards. How do you play the hand you're dealt? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just, you, all you can do is how you react to the situation. And in that situation, when I was confronted with very hostile people that were not in any mood, I just was very polite, very cordial. Sure. And I said, nice to meet all you guys. Have a wonderful evening. And I yeah. walked off. But that's the only thing they got to see. It was yeah. just fine. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, that's all. That's all great. It's great advice. It's great wisdom. Um, I think that you know, like you wouldn't be the magician you are without Rahul and David and Michael. And that's I'm just saying your words. But you know, I think it's important also for you to, for anyone listening, but especially women, to find that group. You need to find your group of people. Yeah. You need to find your a trusted group of not yes men. 
Yeah. You don't want people trust. that are just yesing you. Yeah. Because you're not going to progress. And you need to find people that are better than you in areas that you're weak in. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you just don't find people that are all good in one specific thing. Yeah. Right? Unless that's your ultimate goal and you don't want to be a well-rounded person. You got to find people that are smarter than you in areas that you know you're weak in. Like David Clavins, for instance, he's phenomenal in front of an audience. Like he is extremely witty. He knows how to craft language and he's, he's very good at that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so he's been very instrumental in helping myself and everyone else here too. And how, hey, like that was good, but if you were to say this, this, and this... You, you would have been you would have gone here and then he gives you immediate feedback on it and it's amazing and because he's spot on yeah you know um, and Michael and and Rahul come from you know Michael comes from a more um, you know technical standpoint too from like okay well here's some esoteric things Rahul has a very good ability to bring people together and so he's from the Juan Tamara school of thought and so he's all he's always about connection and whatnot as well mm-hmm. and so it's you know everyone has their own little thing yeah yeah. Feels good. Yeah. I think that was a nice little cap. How do you feel? You feel good? I feel good, man. Feel good? We did two hours. Wow. Nice. Yeah. I usually close with one thing. Okay. Can we do that real quick? Sure. This is the speed round. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I asked you the first question earlier, which is, what is magic? This the, the question is, when was the time you were fooled the hardest? Or... When was the most recent time you were fooled very hard? And I mean, like, rocked your world fooled. Not just like, oh, I don't know how that stuff. You know, I mean, something visceral and physical. Uh, I got to see Steve Forty perform at the Pebble, and I saw real magic. <laughs> I mean, from a technical standpoint, yeah. it was some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, there was that moment. The moment before that was witnessing Juan Tamarez down at MagicCon 2, I believe. Uh, that was one. Or one. MagicCon 1, yeah. And um, that was also real magic. Yeah. That was unreal. Um, I mean, the, the most hardest time I've ever been hit in my entire life when I was four years old. And that was the first memory of magic I've ever had. Yeah. And I was four years old and a magician coming to my birthday party. His name was Ace the Magician. He's now called uh, Captain Jack Spare Ribs. I found him later on in life. Uh, I met him. I just had to say hi because like you're the one that got me into magic. Yeah. But he did sponge balls from the mouth when I was four, and he was pulling hundreds of these balls out of his mouth, and that's the whole reason why I wanted to do magic. So that's the hardest I've ever been hit ever because that was the first memory mm-hmm. of magic that I can remember, and it's the reason why I became a magician. You still do? Do you still do sponge balls? Occasionally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do the rabbits because J.C. Wagner, yeah. he always did the rabbits. Yeah. So I have some rabbits. I, uh, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to be on a call with Rahul and Bob White, and Bob asked, are you doing the bunnies? Yep. You got to do it, man. It's There's certain things that you just got to do. Yeah. Yeah, other than that, man, when was the last time I was fooled? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting because that doesn't happen very often anymore. Um, I know. I know, and it's. So, and I think that's why we go to magic conventions. Sway that night at the castle when he did his coins of crud. Do you remember me slamming my hand on the table yeah. and jumping up? That was the most recent time for me. Yeah, that was that 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 was an epic night. That was that was an insanely epic night. I loved every epic, second of it. That was an insanely epic night. And there will be very there will be more epic nights. Yes. Yep. Forever. Always. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for doing it. 
Yeah. It was fun, right? It was fun. Cool. Thank you for the scotch. It's delightful. We should cheers. Yes. Cheers. Thanks, right, Darren. Man. Yeah. Thanks, Elliot. <laughs>